0: This week's Quarter to Three Games Podcast is brought to you by Special Operative Advance 3, the sequel to Kotaku's 2008 runner-up for best free-to-play shooter. In spec Advance 3, you'll take down tangos in subways, warehouses, and military bases from geopolitical hotspots around the world, such as Turkey, Zimbabwe, Iceland, and France choose your loadout from among more than 17 customizable real-world weapons modeled with unprecedented realism. Unlock perks to reduce recoil, to add damage, or to enable special dance animations to taunt your enemies. Visit www.specoffadvance.com. Support our Kickstarter to add drones, RPG launchers, custom vest patches, and two real-world locations, and be sure to vote for Spec Ops Advance 3 on Steam Greenlight. to the quarter to three games podcast for the waning days of February. We're almost done. Welcome to March. My name is Tom Chick and I would like to tell you that my game of the week
1: this week is not Giants. Oh, I'm uh, Jason McMaster and uh, my game of the week this week is not Master, we lost you there. Give, it, give us that one again. What is your game of oh, the week? I Hi. said, uh, my game of the week is not World of Warcraft.
2: I'm Ian Sluts and my game of the week is not Zone of the Enders 2, the second runner HD.
0: <laughs> but wait a minute. There's like a whole... Isn't there some exclusive trailer on that game, Ian? Isn't that the one that, like, shipped with some Metal Gear trailer? I don't remember. I, I
2: guess it did have a Metal Gear trailer. That's, that's true.
0: If it yeah, makes I, you wonder how many people bought that game because of the Metal Gear trailer hitched onto it. Who knows?
1: Wasn't I actually the did original, buy the game. Uh, but was not the original? Didn't it have a Metal Gear Solid 2 demo on it for the PS2? Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes, there was a frenzy when that came out. People were buying yeah. the uh, that game, game for the demo.
1: <laughs> I mean, like, I, I did. Yeah, but, yeah. Ian, is that why you uh,
0: bought Zone of the Enders 2 HD?
2: Uh, I didn't buy it for the demo. No, I actually kind of—I hadn't played the games, the Zone of Enders games, back when they came out, and I was curious. And uh, and I actually think it was sort of an educational experience, uh, playing at least the second one. I hear the first one's worse. But uh,
0: what did you learn, as far as it being an educational experience? What did it teach you?
2: It it, it taught me that um, that the Kojima Productions guys have really strong level design. And aren't so good at the action games. Like, there's a really good reason that uh, they had to move a certain other game, which you haven't mentioned yet, to um, to a different software house, I think.
1: All right. Well,
0: you uh, actually will get into that with you because that's part of why – actually, that's a big part of why you're here today. But first, before we get into your area of expertise, um, you uh, work at – and I presume your business is a place called Engiant Software. Did I say the name right?
2: Yeah, well, there's no software at the end. It's just Engiant. Oh, Engiant, Engiant.
0: Engiant Studios. How about Engi- a, Engiant Games? Engiant.
2: Can you, call it? You, you can call it anything you want, I suppose. Yeah, it's Engiant. Engiant is Engineered Entertainment.
0: Oh, I like that. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. I don't. I don't now feel the need to put uh, house or studio or games at the end. Okay, good. Uh, and uh, you guys have one one game out. Uh, you were kind enough to send me and, uh H. Jason McMaster. Uh, Steam Codes yesterday, but I'm sorry. McMaster, have you played a game called Rigonauts?
1: I, I'm on the Mac right now. Uh, my PC broken. broken. Right. So well, then, uh, I'm afraid,
0: Ian, you're going to have to tell us what Rigonauts is. I've seen the trailer. Uh, I have a Steam Code. I haven't tried it. Ingeant's uh, game, Rigonauts, give us your, the, uh, sell us on it, I should say.
2: Yeah, Rigonauts is a, is a game where you have a, uh, sort of this, uh, Tribe of, uh, goblin escapees that are, uh, trying to get to freedom. And you have an inventory of Lego-like pieces that you snap together to make a little war machine for them. And you send them into battle. Um, it's a, it's a bit of a wind-up and watch-style game, a little bit like, uh, Frozen Synapses, you could say. Mm-hmm. So all your controls are in the, the builder. You can design your ship and you can lay out the firing order of what you want them to aim at. But once you hit go, you just, you just bite your nails and uh, cheer them on and hope it all turns out for the best. Which usually uh, doesn't.
0: And so you try again. You rebuild and you try again. And in that yep. regard, what it kind of reminded me of, Ian... I don't know how familiar a touchstone this will be for, for you or, or folks listening, but it reminded me of a game called Gratuitous Space Battles, uh, oh. where you, you build a spaceship, uh, you arrange the weapons and the defenses and the components, uh, then you arrange where the ships are on the screen, and then you hit go and you hope for the best. Generally, you don't get the best, so you have to go back and try again and revise it. Uh, it seemed like Rigonauts has that same kind of vibe. Like, let me piece yeah, together it, a plan and then hope that it works well.
2: Yeah, I think that's a fair comparison. I mean, the weird inspiration was partially from a, a, a hardcore PC game called um, Combat Mission. So uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait a minute, that's a war game. <laughs> uh, I, my hands hold mini-controllers, you know. I, mean. <laughs> I, I want to get that on a bumper sticker, Ian.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, you also, it reminded me a little, with just the crazy vibe of the constructions, it reminded me a little of... uh a Banjo-Kazooie game, I think, called Nuts and Bolts. Am
2: I screwing up the name of it? A lot of people have mentioned that connection. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, mi- I might have sympathy with that team for what they went through. It was a really hard game to get right. Um, it started because my uh, business partner, I said to him, you know, well, what do you want to work on? He said, I want to make a game where you build things. But sometimes they're not that popular. And I said, well, what if we attach little characters to it? And then, you know, something to make it cute. And then they can go right into battle but the um, the physics and the the little uh, the fighting actually were very hard to find a balance mm-hmm. between uh so it was a and i am sure like in an early version of the game uh most people just struggled with center of mass as uh their biggest challenge their their biggest enemy was gravity and uh and so it took a while to get the game in a state where I think it was uh where it showed its strong side. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. Another another good bumper sticker, Ian, would be, um, Gravity's a Bitch. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's been the downfall of, of many a mighty edifice. <laughs> right. We'll get it in the end. Uh, and where can folks find Rigonauts, Ian?
2: Rigonauts is currently available on Steam, and it is also available for Android. I'd recommend for Android tablets, or or the larger phones. Um... Because I can't really filter out screen size on that platform, and there's such a variety, uh, and also there's, it, it's exclusive to only certain chipsets on Android. So you go <laughs> it looking
0: like, for that <laughs> sounds like such a headache for you.
2: <laughs> you. You
0: know, it would. I
2: think Google gets a bad rap for being having so many things. I think if they just got theirs, made it a little easier to filter. It would, it would be a lot cleaner. Then people could just go and be like, oh, right, all right, I'm not meeting the minimum requirements. Like they're, you know, on Steam you have the minimum requirements posted, but you don't quite have that equivalent in the Google area yet. So, it, it was a little bit of a headache, but it, you know, it's life. And well, we have an iOS version coming very soon.
0: Finally! That's what I was wondering. Okay. <laughs> what, okay, cause that, Ian, that's what I'm waiting for. Uh, put this on my iPad and I will dive in like you wouldn't believe.
2: Well, I I hope you enjoy it.
0: (laughs) All right. Uh, All right, so uh, I encourage folks to check out uh, Rigonauts, or if you're going to be a slacker like me, uh, hang tight, and it'll be on the iOS shortly. Um, Now, Ian, you are here with us today because you are, um, well, a a new Metal Gear game came out, uh, Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Um, I'm not sure that me and H. Jason McMaster are really that qualified ...to talk Metal Gear games. I tried to play Revengeance, and I pretty much got hung up at the first boss. You even sent me some helpful tips, Ian. Um, <laughs> but I, I have to say that I think it's kind of just not for me. Um, and plus, also, I feel like it's kind of duplicating the experience of another game that I played recently, Devil May Cry. Uh, and if I want to play that kind of game... I kind of have this comfort food approach of rather than learning this new game that's really difficult and that I'm not really feeling it, I'll just go back and play Devil May Cry uh, and then you know advan- play my new game plus there. So in a way, Metal Gear Rising: Revengeance is a casualty of poor timing, of my ineptitude with uh, the parrying, um, and of the lack of a hook that the Metal Gear series is for me. You know, I don't care about Raiden, Raiden, whatever his name is. That doesn't really do anything for me. I don't really care to find out about his continuing adventures. That just doesn't pull me through the game. Um, however, it's a major release. Uh, it's gotten some very good reviews. I'd like to hear more about it from someone who's kind of into that, that game. Um, but first, let me check. McMaster, why haven't you played Metal Gear Rising Revengeance? Uh,
1: I'm just not a huge fan of the series. I, I think... To kind of turn me off, and then it just kind of went downhill for there. But McMaster, this is Ra- Raiden. Raiden, this is that yeah, guy. No, that's even worse. I, <laughs> I like uh, I like Solid Snake a lot more than that
0: guy. But McMaster, okay, let me let me keep trying, and then I'm going to turn it over to Ian, a professional or, or someone who's much better suited to sell it. Uh, let me keep. Let me t- take a couple more stabs at it. Uh, but McMaster, you can uh, you can like slice dudes in a bunch of little pieces. You can like dice them.
1: Well, I mean, I think you said it best. "Double night cry.
0: <laughs> okay, here's my last attempt, McMaster. My last attempt to sell you on this. You ready? mm mm-hmm. uh, It's from Platinum Games, the folks who made... Actually, I'm a little unclear. So is Platinum Games, like, God Hand, Bayonetta? Do I have that right, Ian?
2: Basically, yeah. I, I don't know whether you'd want to include God Hand in there, but you might as well. Because uh, Platinum Games was founded by a bunch of ex-Capcom guys, uh, including Shinji Mikami, and he's the god-hand
0: yeah, dude. Yeah, um, okay. Well, there, McMaster. So, what do you have to say uh, to that? Why are uh, you then playing Metal Gear Rising Revengeance? All
1: right. Well, that's a pretty good one. I'll give you that one. That's that's uh, a that's, that's a that, good one. I, I just can't like I don't know storyline wise though. Those games drive me insane. I I don't know. There, well, there was some cool stuff in the first one, and the second one had its moments, but uh, yeah.
0: All right, well, Ian, high five you and I, I. I did my best with your help. I think we have possibly, maybe, at some eventuality, sold H. Jason McMaster <laughs> on quite possibly perhaps trying to attempt to play Metal Gear Rising Revengeance.
1: Well, <laughs> I mean, it's not really a fair comparison either, because, like, Devil May Cry has a terrible, you know, it's just obnoxious as well. It's not like there's any followable story there, but... I, I guess really I'm just used to, I got really sick of the half-hour cutscene uh, is really what turned me off to the game. Well,
0: you know, I, I definitely, I'm definitely. i glad you brought that up, McMaster, and I definitely want to get into that aspect of the, the Metal Gear series. Uh, but let me table that real quickly, because I'm curious to hear from Ian what he thought, as the only guy on this podcast who's played it in any meaningful sense, what he thought of Revengeance. Uh so Ian, as a as a Metal Gear fan, and we'll get into that in a little bit, uh, what was your take on Revengeance? How well did this work for you as a game?
2: So I, I've I've been enjoying it quite a lot. You know, when when I first heard they were making this game, I was actually a little bit leery because mm-hmm. kind of like what I said about uh Zone of Enders earlier, like the Kojima guys haven't really shown a huge mastery of control schemes. Like it's isn't their big skill. And you know these brawler type games. I never know quite what to call them because brawler always sounds a little insulting. But I guess it's <laughs> it does kind of,
0: It does make it sound sloppy, doesn't it? Like it's just a bunch yeah. of dudes slugging each other.
2: <laughs> but like these these one on mini sort of melee games, right? I actually think are are really hard to get right. So oh, maybe yeah. one of the hardest types of games to execute at a high level. You know, I mean every game, every great game is hard to make. But just like flying in helicopters is harder than flying in an airplane, you know, I think brawlers are especially difficult. Because you have both, you know, the design elements, like the gameplay, how the moves interlock. But then you also have to get the feel, you know, make sure the controls feel snappy and things like that. And that adds a lot of uh, challenges. Um, and you can't hide. You can't hide those challenges, you know, like, so in, you know, you mentioned the Devil May Cry series, when they just switched up a few key personnel, Devil May Cry 2 was kind of the worst of the whole run, right? Yeah, Uh, uh, that's up there.
0: So, so given that, that it is such a a difficult uh, genre to get right, uh, how do you feel that they've, have they succeeded with Revengeance?
2: Well, when yeah, I mean when they went when they then when they moved it to Platinum, I got really curious. And that's kind of where I was not going to miss this game. You know, it went to be, you know, a game from a com- that was a joint venture between these two companies I quite like. And you know, uh I think it's a a really fun. I mean, the one of the first things that sort of struck me about it is that it isn't in necessarily the devil may cry mold. It is The The director for this game is apparently the lead programmer who's been working with Hedia... uh, I think I have the name wrong, but the director of Bayonetta Mm -hmm. and director of the earlier Devil May Cries. Um, This guy's been working with him since the beautiful Joe. And so the game's combat system is... You know, it has some of the... Maybe the taste you can see in the other games a little bit of the lineage but is in a different way and so I, I really enjoyed that um, that feeling of freshness mm-hmm. was the first thing that sort of struck me
0: uh, now as as you've played through so real quick have you uh, have you gotten very far with it is it just something you've sampled at this point uh,
2: I believe I'm about halfway I'm not quite certain because okay. uh, but in terms of like how many of the bosses you've seen in cutscenes and things like that, I've gotten through three or four of them.
0: Well that's what I'm curious about then, is have you hit any brick walls? Because one of the things that really struck me, uh, was that you know, it's like a tiger and he's got a chainsaw in its tail and that was a huge brick wall for me. And up until that point I was kind of enjoying it. I was enjoying the weird aesthetic. I liked the setting, uh I loved the little codec conversations, and specifically there's one about horror movies, which I just that that sold me, that made me want to see everything else the game had to say. Um, it was this social commentary about why people watch horror movies. Uh, I loved that, and I was I was really willing to find out. Okay, who's this weird Raiden guy? You know, my my curiosity was piqued. But then I got to this boss, which I presume is supposed to teach you pairing. I'm not entirely sure what I was supposed to learn. And I literally, after 20 attempts, couldn't get past it. And at that point, had to concede. You know what? I I don't think this game is f- for me. Uh, have you had any such sticking points? Um, how has the experience been for you as far as uh the, the difficulty level?
2: I haven't had any sticking points. In fact I've I've kind of wanted to uh to uh bump up the difficulty a little bit. Like I, I wanna do a second playthrough and see if um some of the mechanics come more to the front. Like I saw what you had written about the uh the I don't know what he's called, chainsaw tail. Um it's really oh, his yeah, name? He's, no it's like wolf blade i think it's wolf blade blade <laughs> wolf i think it's okay. blade wolf all right and um and i think that there was a uh, a mental leap that is non obvious when you're fighting him and that
1: that's meliger
2: like, yeah well <laughs> is is it there's like there's like several states that happen when you do a parry Mm-hmm. Or when you do the defensive move, because sometimes it's just a block, and sometimes it's a full-on parry. And sometimes the parry turns into a sort of a finishing move. Mm-hmm. But that wolf guy is like the first dude you fight where the parry doesn't really turn into a wolf, uh, a finishing move. And they didn't give a clear indication that he's actually... S- you probably were stunning him, and the game wasn't telling you very clearly.
0: So the idea is that I have to pull off that stun, then run in and do as much damage as I can before he wakes up, and then pull back and go on the defensive for a while, right?
2: Yeah, cause on the normal guys, if you do a correct parry, it immediately opens up with the little prompt to, to, you know, slice them in half essentially, right? Right, right. But on the wolf, it's just, he sort of pulls back for a moment, and then he's gonna sit there for enough time for you to do your best you know, combo or whatever.
0: But because I think I think I was getting that, Ian, I think because I was able to do some damage and I got to the you know, then he jumps up on a ledge and you have to fight regular dudes that he calls in and then he comes back down for the second wave. I was able to get to that second wave, so I think I was doing not not reliably, not with any regularity, but I think in a few of my attempts I was able to do kind of what it wanted me to do. I just couldn't always replicate it. I couldn't always keep myself safe. Um I, I just think I'm not as maybe dedicated enough or, or not really internalizing the lessons it was trying to teach me. Uh, I was accidentally getting through parts of the fight, I, I think.
2: Um, I think the lack of, uh, clear explicit feedback that you had successfully done what you were supposed to do
1: mm-hmm.
2: and, uh, is what whole, is what makes it hard. Okay. Like that, that, uh, if they had made the, You know, the panther fall on its back or whatever and kick its legs in the air, then you'd, you'd be clear that you had correctly changed. You you know, your strategy's working, right? But it doesn't exactly show you that, so it's a, it's a little bit unclear.
0: I just find that so frustrating because these guys have been making games for so long and they've done some great games. Uh, I, I just, that, that's just, to me, that's just incredibly disappointing that, that, that's the kind of mistake that a rookie game maker would make. Uh, And I just feel like, you know, feedback is so important, so in a way, they kind of don't care if I am not, you know, if the game is bouncing off me. You know, I kind of feel like they could have met me halfway. They could have made it easier for me. Um, So, but, so you, go ahead, I'm sorry.
2: No, I think you're right. I mean, I think that's a, it's a fair criticism. Like, it would have been, if that had been more clear, you would have, you probably would have gone on to enjoy much more of the game. Mm
0: Right. Like, so you've powered through that boss fight. You haven't really had any uh, difficulty spikes. Uh, how are you then finding, uh, on two fronts, I'm curious to hear about, the, the fighting gameplay uh, and the narrative, the, the storytelling? Uh, how are those two bits of the game working for you? Well, it's almost... It, it, in
2: a lot of ways, there is... Um, it does feel like kind of the uh, perfect mesh of the two studios. So the, the hand-to-hand combat works for me quite a bit. Like, it has... You know, I mean, I'll get a complaint out of the way first. It does have a, a ton of potentially useless combos, I think. You know, that's where I was wondering if I played it on a higher difficulty, maybe ah. some of those would make more sense. But, like, uh you know, when I looked at the combo list, I was like, there are so many attacks in here, they can't all be useful, right? And I kind of prefer sometimes when it, they just limit it to just the ones that that matter the most, right?
0: Trim the fat out, basically, Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, that said, the the um the the gameplay of, you know, working your way through guys and then you know do you know getting the parry in and sort of uh pulling out their spleen or whatever it is. I mean it's a little pouch of uh nano goo, but it always reminds me of some <laughs> organ that isn't the heart because it's so it's sort
0: of oblong well you do uh, wonder I, i do want to point out that little mechanic for gaining health i i wonder if there was ever a time in the development when it was a more literally visceral gory element like they make it kind of cleanly robotic um, that it's nano-goo, like, was there ever a point where you were pulling intestines out? Because that, the basic vibe of that looks to me like something from the Splatterhouse game, where you would reach into a demon sphincter and then pull its intestines <laughs> inside out. Like, it's kind of that gross, but they they sanitize it by making a robot kind of deal out of it.
2: Uh, you know, I think that there is a, um, you know, you always got to be careful in making broad generalities, but in a lot of Japanese game development, there's a, a little bit more cleanliness, maybe, to those kinds of things, like um, like there was two games on the PS2, like there was Onimusha, where guys would end up on their back, and you could administer a coup de gras. right, you sort of stab them, and they, they sort of twitch a little bit. And then there's like, there was like Mark of Cree where you stab them and they look like they're begging for water, right? Like one, there was kind of this, uh, a lingering sense of misery being inflicted and the other one was a little cleaner. So I don't know, uh, whether there was a time when, when they had more fleshy enemies that spewed more guts. Right. But, it, but in here, yeah, it is kind of, um, you know, I was kind of trying to decide if I would feel safe playing it in front of my daughter or not because it, there is a, a, a sort of a bloodlessness to it. Even though there's kind of this implied level of viscera,
0: it's M-rated, isn't it? It's an, even it though is. it's okay, you're right. right.
2: Yeah, um, but there may be some other like reasons based on sort of the I don't know the Kojima Productions ethos that they kept it that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so I, so yeah, I interrupted. I'm sorry. So you were talking no, about uh, you're, so you're talking about as far as the gameplay, uh, you know, you pull out that nano pouch. That's the the sort of the health uh, regeneration mechanic. Um, that's in lieu it's up, more
2: than that, really. It almost becomes... You know, it's... I, I've, I've spent a lot of time, like, trying to work through what I think of that mechanic, and it's... It, it becomes very central. Like, as you move into, like, the later enemies and the more complex enemies, it's almost always... You're trying to find a way to get them into the state that you can just slice them in half right away. Right? And it's, um... It's, it's almost their way of kind of bringing forth this sort of ninja feel, right? You know, like, some sometimes one of the higher arts of game design is you're trying to, you know, take some some concept and you're trying to, like, breathe game mechanics, in, or fill it into, ga- you know, bring it into life with game mechanics. And this this sort of, like, the idea, of, well, a ninja's going to kill guys in one blow. Mm-hmm. He's not going to sit around doing an endless... You know, 100 hit combo or anything like that, um, and that seems to be where they go. Like, if it almost felt like to me, at least on the difficulty level I'm playing, if I'm not killing them with the uh, with that move, then it means I'm, I haven't figured that enemy out yet.
0: Uh, it's not about or, whittling down a hit point bar. It's it's about delivering that 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 slice, right?
2: Yeah, and it's much less about the crowd control. That has worked so well in like Devil May Cry or Bayonetta where you're often, you know, in this game you are still, you have to pay attention to the group, but usually you're waiting to see which of the enemies blinks first because he has to die then and then the next guy has to die. So it's a, it's an interesting mechanic.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and, uh, how do you feel so far about the story?
2: The story, I think is a little harder to judge because I haven't seen the end of it, and it's uh, it, it shows a bit more restraint than you get from some of the other Kojima games, which I think it benefits from a lot. Um, you know, if we end up talking about the series as a whole, you know, it's really... I think everybody who says that the cutscenes are too long and confusing is basically correct. I mean, there's... they are... Really long and confusing, usually, and um, and there's a lot more restraint, so it makes the story instantly a lot more digestible.
0: Now, when you, uh, real quick, when you say restraint in *Revengeance*, do you mean restraint in terms of there being long, gratuitous, drawn-out cutscenes? Yeah, I just mean they're shorter. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. right. Yep, absolutely. Because that was the, the sense I got too—is uh, it wasn't making me sit through all these a lot of exposition. Uh, like, it did seem a little bit tighter and snappier than what I would expect from a Metal Gear game.
2: And yeah. and the, some of the the story does go in some interesting directions. Now, you know, in, in the Metal Gear games, there's sometimes, I don't know, the there's sort of two stories, usually. There's one that's happening in sort of the plot level, and there's one that's happening almost at the character level. Mm-hmm. right? And at the character level is usually where the stories are strongest. And that's where I'm interested to see how it all wraps up, whether it's, how meaningful it is in the end. But, um, you know, the difference... One of the, the one of the differences is highlighted very early in the game where Raiden, you know, says in one of the conversations, he's going to go kill these guys. They signed up. You know, the bad guys have signed up for this mission, so, you know, they're all dead to him, right? Right. And, you know, one of the strange things about the Metal Gear Solid series as a, as a whole is outside of the first one... Um basically you're able to pass through the whole game without killing anybody. Like Solid Snake, the the ultimate expression of Solid Snake or Big Boss uh is that he doesn't kill anyone. Um but Raiden is now da- in this game is completely the opposite. <laughs> and they actually call that out. Uh a little bit into the I don't know, like the second mission, I guess. Um, the one of the enemies allows you to start hearing the suppressed emotions of your foes. And, you know, one of them says, like, I lost my leg in, in Iraq. I didn't have it. You know, what else could I do? But essentially sign up for, you know, some cyborg surgery and become a soldier. And so the, uh, the, the main character starts to freak out because all these people are a little more nuanced all of a sudden.
0: Uh, and that's kind of his deal, isn't it? Like, what, explain for, for layman, who is Raiden and why does he get a full game?
2: Raiden is a, uh, it, the backstory is that he was a child soldier who was, uh, basically recruited into this giant, uh, MacGuffin, uh, conspiracy called the Patriots. And, um, he was the surprise replacement for Solid Snake in the second game. So, you know, a lot of people, everyone who thought they were going to play a solid snake game, you know, bought Metal Gear Solid 2, played a solid snake game for about an hour. <laughs> and then suddenly, a brand new main character just sort of popped onto the screen and, uh, bent everybody's minds. And so, and so that's where he comes from. He, uh, more or less,
0: uh, and he's very much uh, like the, his whole deal, at least from the, the first of the game, of in Revengeance. Like he's a regular dude who gets pretty beat up and, and given all these cybernetic parts, right? Isn't that well, his backstory? The,
2: the in in somewhere between Metal Gear Two and Metal Gear Four, he uh, runs afoul of these the the Patriots again, and they they put him in this cyborg body. Um, that. Storyline I believe was supposed to be explored in the game that Kajima Productions was making that eventually they gave up on when they handed it off to. So we never really get the, to my knowledge, there's no clear understanding of what how he became this sort of cyber ninja.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But uh, it was supposed to be something that was
1: forced on him. Mm-hmm. Good. Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I just, I, I don't like uh, Raiden because of Metal Gear Solid 2. <laughs> so uh, I'm happy things are being forced by.
0: Oh, so McMaster, so you were one of the people who you played Metal Gear Solid 2. You're like, hey, I'm going to play a Solid Snake game. And well, you're like, wait, who's this guy? Explain that ex- experience I, to me.
1: I honestly don't even care if, you know, whatever, uh, who I'm playing as. But Raiden's just kind of, uh, he's very whiny in Metal Gear Solid 2 and kind of irritating. Uh, it's kind of turned me off to the end.
0: Uh, Ian, do you know, like, was that kind of a common reaction? Was there some pushback when Kojima did that with Metal Gear Solid 2?
2: Yeah, I mean, like, you know, Metal Gear Solid, the the first one, uh, I'd say was universally loved. And I'd basically say it's a flawless game. I mean, it's not to say it's like the last game you ever need, but there's not a whole lot of criticism to heap on it. And then Metal Gear 2 is the one that drove everybody crazy. Like, the the reviews were pretty good, but if you talk to a lot of players, like, it scrambled their brains. And so, you know, the the Metal Gear fans walking the earth are like the people that survived Metal Gear 2. <laughs> and then everybody else is like, what the hell did I just play? Um, because it introduced the two big flaws. You know, like, the, the, the cutscenes were much shorter in the first Metal Gear, but... Uh, and by Metal Gear 2, they got quite long. And they have all this, like, tangential little subjects that they like to ping around on, which makes them really hard to follow. And to make matters worse, Metal Gear 2's story was uh about somebody being... Um, having their head screwed with, mm-hmm. right? So it's kind of like... I don't know if you've ever seen the 1960s television show The Prisoner. I mean... My understanding is that when people saw the last episode of that, they, they wanted to throw their TVs out the window. And then, like, a small people were like, that was awesome. Oh, so lost? It, or lost, maybe. No,
1: no but, except no, nobody really thought it was awesome. It was just terrible. Yeah.
2: But I mean, The Prisoner was intentionally confusing. And Metal Gear Solid 2 was an intentionally fusing, confusing game with cutscenes that were kind of clumsily written. So it was like a double whammo of obfuscation.
0: Uh, well, let's uh, so let, let's talk then a, a bit about the larger picture of the Metal Gear games. Before we do so, in summary, uh, Ian, are, are you your, your thumbs up with uh, with uh, Revengeance? Like so yeah. so far, given that you're you're about halfway through it, you, you recommend this game? You're digging on it, right? I, I think it
2: feel it, I think it does a great job of making the player have this sort of ninja like experience, mm-hmm. and I think from a you know you could call it a freshman director of a, of a new game series. I think it's uh, really exciting, and I hope they make another one.
0: Well, let, then let's uh, let's move on to the larger scheme of things with the Metal Gear games. But first, I want to get your take, McMaster, on uh, what is your background with the Metal Gear games? What's your experience with these things? Uh, you mentioned Metal Gear Solid 2. You kind of parted ways with that. From then on, where do you go with the Metal Gear series?
1: Uh, I played the card game one for the original PSP, and I liked it um, a bit. Uh, I tried to play... Three and a thirty-minute like stupid conversation at the beginning of it uh, kind of made me just turn it off after a while. Um, I mean, I made it through Persona, like all of them for the most part. So I mean, that's really saying something. Uh, however, uh, and four, I played the demo and I got to sneak around for like fifteen seconds before another cutscene started. So I, I, I yeah, I was just tired of it. I. I i want to play the game and i'll particularly want to watch it
0: so ian it, it sounds like when you're talking about the two big flaws of of metal gear solid 2 being like the indulgent long cut scenes uh it sounds like mcmaster was a was one of the casualties of that flaw right yeah definitely um uh so mcmaster could you summarize basically i don't know if anyone could do this uh how would you characterize or summarize or explain if an alien comes to Earth, McMaster, and he comes up to you and he says, we're studying Earth things, tell us what this Metal Gear Solid deal is, how would you explain it, McMaster, to an alien?
1: Um It's a very violent soap opera with robots.
0: <laughs> I like that. Uh, Ian, as a Metal Gear expert, uh, do, do you take any issue with McMaster's characterization? <laughs> I
2: think it's perfect in every way. I meant his characterization.
1: <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I, the the thing... I guess I just... It's everybody hates everybody else, and everybody else is involved in a conspiracy, and they're all trying to kill each other, and then there's some crazy crap that happens, and then crazy people show up that you thought were dead. I mean, that pretty much just describes a soap opera to me. Mm-hmm.
0: No. Uh. One of the things, though, that I would also point out to this alien McMaster is that, for whatever reason, Kojima got away with being extremely derivative. And I think he did it by also being weirdly meta about all of it. Uh, For instance, the fact that his character... I don't know if you guys recognize the music when we opened the the show. Does either of you know what that was? It's a little trivia question for you. Was that a John Carpenter soundtrack? Not a John Carpenter soundtrack. The John Carpenter soundtrack too. Can you name the movie? Well, it's going to be Escape from New York then. Uh, absolutely. And so, why why does Kojima get away with basically casting Kurt Russell's character and using the same freaking name, by the way? Why does he get away with doing this in his yeah. game? That, so that's what that was was what was weird for me coming to Metal Gear. Is I grew up with John Carpenter movies. I used to. I had a VHS. For you kids these days, you won't know what that is, but it's like a cassette tape but bigger. I used to have a VHS of Escape from New York, and I would put it to sleep every night and fall asleep to it. Uh it's like I grew up on that. And so when I sit down to play Metal Gear, I'm like, what what is why is this why is this guy appropriating this character? I don't understand. It makes no sense to me. Um and as I've grown up and sort of appreciated a little more about what I think he's doing, it strikes me that Kojima is like me, he's a, he's a kid raised on this diet of Western action movies and, and 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 cold war paranoia, and he wants to translate that, put that through the lens of his own Japanese culture into a story. Uh, it, it would be and it would be what if what if I as a, as a kid from Arkansas who you know grew up there in the eighties, what if I wanted to make a samurai series, you, you know? Uh, and I kind of respect that, but I just remember being really taken aback and not understanding why he was doing this and what was going on with it. And um, being more I mean, confused. That explains um
1: that explains Ghost
0: Dog. I don't even know what that is, McMaster. That's how out of the loop I am. That's a movie with Forrest Whitaker, right? Yes.
1: Yes. It's a samurai movie with Forrest Whitaker. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you're laughing, but that is what you're talking about, right? It's uh yes, it's a, absolutely isn't yeah, it no, a Jim Jarmusch a- samurai movie, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Like right, that, right, I mean
1: I like it too. I I just kind of uh, I don't know, it's the first thing that pops to mind on the you- American Samurai. Right. Uh but uh
0: so 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 that was always my weird thing with the Metal Gear series, is why is he doing this? What does it mean? I'm confused. This is not the snake pliskin that, that I know.
1: He, uh he should call me if he does a they live because I would do much more about that.
0: <laughs> okay, we'll we'll put you down as the expert for that. Uh so okay, so uh that's kind of my take on the on the Metal Gear series and and uh one of the reasons that it's never really clicked with me, with one exception that we'll get into in a little bit. Um so Ian, explain to us how you came to it and uh what what were your early experiences with the Metal Gear games?
2: Well the the weird thing about my early experience is that uh the year this this right before it came out, you know, I wanted to make video games and uh I'd seen a want ad for Konami looking for game testers. And I had never so I, I I went there and I was like, sweet, I'll I'll go test games. And it was a uh a, a mind numbing experience that I never want to repeat.
0: I could have uh, warned the, you if you'd if you'd have come and asked me about that beforehand, Ian, I would have warned you off of it.
2: I, I was young, man. It was just a summer
1: job, you know. Young. It I sounds worked. awesome. It sounds so awesome. It's not awesome. But yeah. um
0: Ian, that's but, what terrible things can happen to Ian when you're young and you need the money.
2: <laughs> and I heard this Metal Gear game was coming out and I had played the old NES one, which is really a bastardized version of the original. But um and, and even then it was kind of a unique experience. The like the NES uh, Metal Gear. Uh so I was curious. I was like, huh. You know, it was the kind of game you sometimes your friends would talk about that nobody owned anymore. Or or whatever right and uh the last week that I was working there before going back to college uh Metal Gear came in and I just uh, I abandoned my my test plans and I just played it as much as I could um and uh, I had a real blast so you know and and really I think that you know historically just uh if you think about it the Metal Gear is one of a small number of games that kind of redefined what AAA meant. And I'm not using redefined just as a gratuitous statement, but I mean AAA used to just be what the publishers told the the, you know, the Walmart buyer to to say, dude, this game we're publishing is this is one of our really good ones. This is our our AAA game. So you could have, you know, a AAA platformer or whatever, right? But um, you know, games like Metal Gear and uh, Grand Theft Auto 3 sort of moved games in a much more, I don't know, experiential direction. Mm -hmm. Because as much as the game was about, as much as it's remembered for being a stealth game, you know, it actually, there were some sections where it depended on action, some sections where it demanded stealth. You know, parts of the game you were repelling down buildings and having psychics look at your memory card and, you know, fighting off torture sequences... And it, and like you said about it being so weirdly uh, dedicated to the American cinema, it even ends with all the characters losing their guns and having a fist fight on top of a giant robot, right? So, it's
0: <laughs> I I got the sense, uh, and certainly hearing you talk about it, it seems like Kojima has this um, deep-seated restlessness with video game conventions, uh, and he's really struggling to find. New dimensions and uh, a new framework, uh, and even, even sort of deconstructing the narrative, all that crazy stuff. Kojima just strikes me as an incredibly restless developer.
2: That's, uh, that's an interesting way to put it. I mean, I always saw it as just a, a clever way of using the game mechanics, but I mean, it's true. I mean, like, you know, a lot of the sequences in, in like Metal Gear 1 are almost like mini games. Very well disguised mini games, but they're not necessarily using the sort of the core elements. He's impl- you know interface elements and things like that. So there, I guess, Restless is a is one way to portray it.
0: Now, uh, so break down for me. So there have been uh, is it four basic Metal Gear Solid games?
2: Yeah, there's four kind of core games. They the p two of the PSP games are supposed to be you know, canonical if you want to call it that. Hmm. But there's they're still kind of sideshows. Although the second of those is very, very good. Uh, and
0: when you say two, so uh Peace Walker was supposed to be Metal Gear Solid five at one point, right? Is that correct?
2: It might as well be, yeah. Peace Walker, I mean the it is it is a, a like a simpler Metal Gear game. It's a it's a little stripped down. I don't mean that in a bad way. But like You know, like, the sneaking is not quite as, um, involved as what you get in Metal Gear 3, but it's, uh, but it's still a really full experience. Like, um, like, you know, the first time you fight the, uh, the singing robot, and then you crawl inside it, and you have a scene that is basically ripped from 2001 A Space Odyssey as you're pulling circuit boards out of, uh... Out of it. You're, you're playing like a, you realize you're playing a full Metal Gear game, just shrunken a little bit. Uh,
0: now McMaster mentioned the card game. Is that the other PSP one that you're talking about? It's, it's when I
2: not? said the two PSP ones, I meant Metal Gear. There there was, there's, there's one that, there's Portable Ops and then there's Peace Walker. And those two are supposed to be part of the main series. Whereas the Acid games, Acid 1 and Acid 2, are like, just sort of things they tossed around, you know, using Metal Gear concepts and characters, but aren't like... You know, you don't have to write essays about the character progression or <laughs> secrets being revealed. But they're also very, very fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've actually only played Acid 2, but I had a blast.
0: Uh, is Acid 2 the one where the creepy little dolls are, are taken over the airplane? That's Acid 1. Okay, because that's, that's one that uh, I that's mainly what i remember from it i mean i remember enjoying it I, I loved the weirdness of a card game and a tactical combat game but i mainly remember there's creepy dolls hijacking an airplane that's that's how it exists in my memory and i love that about it i mean that's just uh, uh and the the other one so the the one metal gear game cuz i've i've played you know I've, I've i've faffed around with some of the earlier ones uh i think it was so metal gear solid 4 that was the big ps3 one right yeah Okay, so that's the one I played all the way through. I was pretty much completely lost. I, I reviewed it um, basically from the perspective of this is not a game made for me. This is a game made for people who have really followed the series up to now. I'm completely lost. I don't know what's going on. Like McMaster was saying before, I don't want to sit through these long cutscenes. They mean nothing to me. uh There's not enough gameplay here. One star, you know, that, that was kind of my take. I don't remember what I actually gave it, but that was my take on Metal Gear Solid Four. Is I do not belong here. This is not for me. Um, however, uh, Peace Walker, I completely resonated with. I adore Peace Walker. Uh, Peace Walker worked for me on nearly every level, as a story, the gameplay, this sort of collectible bit where you're building your own base. Peace Walker made me want to go back and like and play and experience the previous Metal Gear games. Um Peace Walker was, I, I thought, brilliant, and, and I, playing through Peace Walker, I kind of had this reaction like, oh, this must be how people feel when they really like a Metal Gear Solid game. Um, that's so pretty
2: s- close. You know, I mean, Metal Gear 3 is the, uh, is the great one. You know, I had a co-worker once, people were talking at the lunch table about what, uh, their favorite games are, and he said, my favorite game is Metal Gear 3. And after he said that, I couldn't think of anything I liked better either. So that makes <laughs> sense. Now, what
0: terrible. makes you, okay, so what makes you single that one out?
2: I think that, uh, so, you know, 2 introduces the flaws that were in 3 as well, like some of the story things, uh, some of the awkwardness around the story. Um, but it doesn't have, the, the story is still better told in that it's not, because it's not, um, About a big conspiracy that is trying to disorient the player. Which makes two interesting, but still hard to follow. Uh, it's a little more straight up. And also the... So, it really is, it comes down to the gameplay and the story for me. You know, in Metal Gear Solid 3, I felt the sneaking really worked. I loved, you know, trying to feel like a survivalist out there, you know, trying to find which animals I could eat. Mm-hmm. and where and get the right camos so I could hide in the, in the trees or hide in the grass. And then some of the other design elements, like, I think one thing that just totally bring it, brought it home is in each of the major regions of the game, there is a supply depot and, like, an, an arms cachet. And if you blow them up, the soldiers will get sort of sickly if you blow up the, the food. And if it's the arms, then their guns will jam more often. And, you know, in other games, you know, being behind enemy lines and, like, blowing up uh, an objective is really just a text box. You know, and once you do it, they say, good job, that mission's over. But in this game, it became a game mechanic. And I saw it was really now I'm, like, playing the commando simulator, along with, like, the way they implemented... uh uh, interrogations. I had never seen anything like that, and it was so brilliant, and it worked so well. I I felt like I was like, yeah, I'm interrogating guys trying to get the codes.
0: What do What do interrogations do? Because by the way, Ian, what you just described sounds freaking brilliant, and now I want to play that game. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what yeah. What do interrogations do?
2: The interrogations were really simple. What they did was. Um, They make one weird choice, which is they use the fact that the gamepad has so much, uh, senses pressure. So, when you grab a guy from behind, you could choose to interrogate him. If you press too hard, though, you'll kill him. Um, and the way, all it is, it's very simple. It's like you press another button, and Solid Snake takes his hands off their mouth, and he says, speak, right? And they'll either sell, like, like, tell you to go to hell and insult you or they might give up uh, a secret. Like sometimes it's a game hint. Sometimes it's a codec code to turn off the alarm in case you get spotted. Like there's a so there's a number of little resources that they can give you. But the real resource in the interrogation is that is time. Like the ability for you to uh find a guy who's not being watched by his friends, that you can dodge out and interrogate him and then knock him out and hide him before anybody discovers you, becomes kind of the puzzle. So, like, in other games when they've tried to implement interrogations, it's usually, like, you know, press this button combination or something. But in this game, it just it just sem- seamlessly sort of folds into the overall sneaking effect. It's just, like, how can I grab a guy that I can spend that long with, if that makes sense, if I'm describing that right.
0: McMaster, do you know about this? Do you know how cool this is? Oh, yeah. He's the one I wanted to, like... And it was again the cutscenes that killed it for you, McMaster. A- absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, right, well, Ian, Ian, get... yeah. No, go ahead. I cut you off.
2: Uh, I, I can never blame a man who gets so frustrated by the cutscenes.
0: Well, then explain. Well, so defend these for us, Ian. What? So well, why why doesn't Kojima well, just just chill out and not make us watch movies? Yes, McMaster.
1: First, let me just say that it's it's not even the cutscenes so much as it's the stupid like talks. On the radio. The codec of conversations. That, yes, that you have to like hit X for like 20 minutes on. Because you just, uh, the, I don't know. I don't think it let you just skip them, did it? There, you
2: can, you can fast forward to that. I think you can hang up. I'm trying to remember now. That's, <laughs> it's a good question, but I'm a guy who sat through them, so, you know.
0: McMaster, I have one thing to say about that. You ready for this?
1: Mm-hmm. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's plenty of that. Oh my god! That's like half the conversation. <laughs> but here's the thing: uh, well, I actually, yes, yeah. Yeah, I actually so.
2: think that it is a good story. That's the that's the weird part. I've never encountered
0: three. You mean Metal Gear Solid Three, Snake Eater?
2: Yeah, I've never encountered a story so
0: good that is so badly written. <laughs> well, now doesn't like, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no! You go. You can. Well, doesn't peace walker tie into because i got the sense playing peace walker and digging on the story that it was really riffing on a lot of earlier stuff that i wasn't really privy to uh and, and does a peace walker have a lot of direct correlations to specifically specifically to uh, metal gear solid 3
2: yes but for me you know i like the plot the the story's plot and like the 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 inception of the patriots and things like that but uh where I think the story really succeeds is in a bit more of the, I don't know what to call it, the subtext or the personal details, because, you know, uh, the character you're playing in that game is a traitor, you know, a, a United States traitor, who you defeat in the original NES game. Um, about and truth. is... Is the, is the dead guy they're trying to f- get the body of in the Metal Gear Solid 1. Um, and so, but essentially what this story revolves around is the idea of loyalty as a kind of, uh, liability. In
0: that. What, what year was this real quick? This was what about year, 2004 or something, right?
2: It's, uh, 2004 is when Metal Gear Solid 3 was released.
0: Ah well, I love that it's uh, that that's quite a relevant topic in that time period. Uh, very very timely.
2: Yeah, I it, but it's still it's so controversial. I don't think an American or at least few American outlets would put that much money behind a project that that had that kind of message because um, essentially the you know the, the the two principal characters are the boss and uh, Snake. Mm-hmm. Uh, who becomes big boss um, and and boss ba- snake is is loyal to her, but she is loyal to the country mm-hmm. and and that by the end of it seems a very tragic thing like and you know most uh stories of this nature might say, you know well. You know, maybe that that was a bad president, but America sure is great, or or something of that nature. And it really just says, no, you know, uh, you're a sucker to go die for them, you know, the or just for this this. Amorphous concept, essentially.
0: Well, it, it's partly the luxury of him being uh, Japanese. I, I think it, it's, yeah. it's a commentary on America that really you can only make if you're not having to make it from within the U.S. at that time period. I think.
2: But even uh, then, I don't know how pointed it was. Like, it, it clearly concerns America, but even in you know in Japan, loyalty is a valued trait uh, as well. I think sure. that's a pretty universal thing. So to. I mean, so to to kind of call it out as as portray it as a weak as a as a problem as a as a maybe a kind of a sickness is still kind of daring, in a way.
0: Now, how do people feel about? So so I mentioned that Peace Walker is the one that I really liked. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that uh, do Metal Gear fans like it as much as I do, or is that just my own weird? Discovery and hey, this stuff is cool. Uh, Is that a universally appreciated Metal Gear Solid amongst the fans?
2: I think so. I mean, the only checks against it uh, of the fans that I know are are that the if you master the 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 little um, it's like an acoustic radar essentially. Mm -hmm. If you master that, it kind of trivializes some of the sneaking. So that particular mechanic is a little bit weaker. Mm -hmm. But in general, I think the reaction to Peace Walker is that it's what they want out of a Metal Gear game. It's got the weirdness and the adventure. And then it has all these other extra elements that were quite fun. The Sort of the almost Pokemon nature of stealing soldiers.
0: With balloons. So you can kidnap people with balloons. How could somebody not love that? (laughs) Yeah,
2: and, and the best part about that is it really
0: happened. Kind of.
2: Like, uh... Apparently the, that's based on a um, on a, another Cold War artifact that was used once uh, to spy on a Soviet um, Arctic base.
0: I think they even taught. I mean, they lay the groundwork for it. I mean, it sounds absurd to explain it that way, but one yeah. of the the things you can definitely give Kojima or give the Metal Gear games credit for is. The, they, they go out of their way to try to explain the weird, random stuff. And sometimes this leads to the kind of cutscenes scenes that, that drive me and H. McMaster crazy. But other times, you know, it, it does do a good job of laying groundwork. You, you know, it, it, they're, they're nothing if not thorough. Um, and by the way, that derivativeness that I talked about, being completely taken aback as a kid, seeing this game. You know, what why, why is Snake Pliskin in my game when this isn't Snake Pliskin? With, initially, that drove me a little crazy. But playing Peace Walker and, and seeing that he had the balls to make a story about nuclear deterrence and name one of the characters Dr. Strangelove, I, I mean, ultimately, I admired that more than anything else. Uh, <laughs> that just took such incredible guts because so many video games rip things off or they do homages, and they're kind of coy about it. But, boy, there was nothing coy. You know, you mentioned, Ian, that 2001 scene. Uh, I even think of, like, Dark Star, which is an even earlier mm-hmm. uh, Carpenter movie where somebody talks down a rogue AI, uh, naming someone Dr. Strangelove, uh, tying into this weird Cold War minutiae about the Sandinistas. You know, I loved that stuff because that's what I grew up with, and that was part of my own political awakening. Uh, and so there were just so many weird beats in Peace Walker that I... That I loved, uh, and I think I was at a point in my video gaming career where I could admire that kind of courage to, to put in weird derivative beats like that.
2: Uh, I think the first time the, uh, the robot comes charging over the hill and it's singing that uh, little song from the 60s, I, I was just such a surreal moment that uh, I yeah. kind of loved it.
0: McMaster, have you played uh, Peace Walker? Have you kidnapped people with
1: balloons? (laughs) No.
0: So it's one of my big beefs with frickin' Sony and their lack of backwards compatibility is... Peace Walker was crazily open-ended. You know, it had this base building and this collectible thing, and then you play through the storyline, and you think, okay, I'm done with the story. Now it's just going to be this open-ended. I can replay missions and collect dudes and work on my base. But no, it's not. There's still story stuff lurking that kind of surprises you. Uh, as far as I know, that was as open-ended as a game could be, and I can't play it on my Vita, which drives me crazy. Uh, so thanks, Sony. bunch of jerks. Um, I agree with you completely,
2: except for I think they fixed that this week.
0: <gasps> fixed what?
2: I th- I think I read that it was it either is coming or is now available for the Vita.
0: Oh, so I, wait, I like I think this is
2: walk- really recent news. I think it's like. Like yesterday, it got announced or something.
0: And I can use my saved game on whatever... (laughs) Oh, I don't know anything about that. Ian, don't tease me like that. If I can't use my saved game, I'm not going to freaking start over Peace Walk. Actually, maybe I will. (laughs) Well,
2: it would be good for McMaster. He hasn't had a chance. And he he would like to like Metal Gear. And that one actually is pretty easy to
0: like. McMaster, i got a job for you. I need you to play Peace Walker up to the point where I saved my game on the Vita, and then send me your save.
1: All right, sounds good. (laughs) It's, it's available memory. now, by the way. Actually, I just look.
0: Peace Walker hey. on the Vita.
1: Yeah, came out yesterday, I guess. And I do
0: I get credit for already having it on the PSP? Can I tell them, look, I've got it on the PSP? Give it to me for free.
1: Duh, you can try that. Huh? I... <laughs>
0: who do I write, McMaster? What's the what's the what's the address for uh, the guy who runs Sony so I can get in touch with him?
1: Oh, Jim Sony, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Alright, so
0: Ian, you are still a, a Metal Gear. Wh- what is the future of the Metal Gear series from this point on? So, so Metal Gear Rising is like a separate offshoot, correct? Like yeah,
2: Metal Gear Rising is uh-huh. supposed to be a new series and I'm really interested to see how that team, you know, grows. You know, I want them to make a second one because I think there's a lot of uh, fantastic potential, you know. Because even though it's an experienced, many experienced members, it's still kind of a new team, uh-huh. right? Um, so I'd love to see more of that. And there is, I guess, a an online game called, um, Metal Gear Solid Ground Zeroes.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I've seen some press about this. What is that?
2: Uh, I don't know a lot about it. I believe it's essentially their follow-up to the Metal Gear Online that nobody played. Okay. Uh, and nobody played it mostly because there were so many hoops you had to jump through, um, to get it to run. Uh, And then, either late last year or early this year, there was a mystery trailer that's not called Metal Gear, but people are pretty sure it is a teaser for a Metal Gear sequel in which a character wakes up in a hospital, and most of the video is from his point of view until the very end.
0: All right, so we'll uh, maybe at E3 be hearing more about that. Yeah. We'll see. Alright, uh, so there's our Metal Gear segment uh, There's so much, I mean I also feel, Ian, like this is such a rich Series, there's just so much we haven't Touched on, I'm sure plenty of Metal Gear fans listening to the podcast are Thinking, hey, what about X, Y Or Z, so apologies for all the Stuff we didn't cover uh, McMaster and I are strictly dilettantes So Ian, thank you for uh, Filling in for us as our, our Metal Gear expert We, we definitely needed one
2: it's a game that is, has so many great po- points, but so many flaws. That, like a woman, you must love. You can't, <laughs> no. you can't like Metal Gear because it's got too many weaknesses. But you, you so you have to love it.
0: To love it. Uh, I uh, so going back. I guess this would have been Metal Gear. What's the one where you fight the vampires? Like, there's a crazy boss battle part way through where you're where you're like sneaking around. In, I think like an oil rig, and then vampires attack you. Is that That's Metal two. Gear? That's two. Okay, so way back when. Uh, I was uh, dating this girl whose brother didn't like me. Yeah, and you know what that's like. Like you're dating some chick, and you meet her brother, and and from the perspective of the guy who's been that brother as well, you know, my sister brings over some boyfriend. I'm like, okay, who's the dude? He's not good enough for my sister. I don't, I don't like him. So this is how this guy felt about me, of course. Um, so I'm dating this girl. Her brother's not into me. Whatever. He's a cool enough guy, but he just wants nothing to do with me. I can't blame him. Uh, it comes Christmas time. And my girlfriend says, Hey, my brother wants the new James Bond game and it was some golden eye or some very action oriented shooter. Uh and and Coco was all like, Hey, my brother's really into those James Bond games. There's a new one. That's what he wants for Christmas. Should we get it for him? And I told her, Oh no, no, don't get him that. Get him this that's the that's like the old and busted one. Here's the cool new stuff. Get him this game called Metal Gear Solid Two. So I talked her into buying her brother, as a Christmas gift, Metal Gear Solid 2. I was even there when they opened it, like I was hanging out with her for Christmas. And he got it, and I remember he kind of opened it and looked at it and read the back and didn't quite know what to make of it. He didn't know the Metal Gear games. He just wanted a James Bond shooter thing. Like, he came from that, that GoldenEye tradition where you, you just sure. play it as a fun shooter. Uh, and over the coming weeks, I just remember hearing from Coco that... Uh, her brother was a little bit <laughs> was a little bit nonplussed by this weird metal gear thing and that that i got she basically threw me under a bus she basically was like well tom said to get you that uh and needless to say it never really worked out with <laughs> with me and her brother so uh so that also maybe that accounts for why uh i never got that far into the metal gear series until peace walker
2: uh, that second game is so mind-bending you know you might want to Try it sometime to write essays, if you feel like you have that level of patience. I'm not sure. If you don't, I understand. But uh,
0: Will it run on my PS3, Ian? Uh,
2: the HD collection will.
0: Oh, actually, you know what? It won't, because I don't have a PS3, come to think of it. There is that problem. <laughs> uh, all right, well, let's get into some news of the week and uh, games of the week. McMaster, why don't you start us off? Tell us what your news of the week is.
1: Uh I don't think I've mentioned this before, I don't think, but uh Witcher 3 was announced. Did I mention that before? Uh
0: No, but this is news from, I think, last month, isn't it? Or, no, early February. This was the cover story on the last uh, Game Informer.
1: Well, yeah, uh, uh, you know, since we didn't talk about it. Well,
0: you know what, it is, it is big news. So, McMaster, what do we know about Witcher 3?
1: It's called The Wild Hunt. It is that all. <laughs> I, I believe that's it, yeah. yeah.
0: There, there's actually a, a fairly long cover story. A, a fellow who's on the forum, Adam Bisner, I'm going to mangle his last name, yeah. who writes for Game Informer. It seems like he actually flew out there, hung out with those guys, and there's a lot of information in Game Informer about what to expect from the next Witcher. Uh, very exciting developments, of course, those guys at CD Projekt with Witcher, with their, uh, what's the name of the cyberpunk game? Is it cyberpunk? Uh, Is that the name I think of it? it's cyberpunk. It's cyberpunk, yeah. oh, Like yeah. 2077 yeah. or something. Yeah, so very exciting developments. I love what those guys do, uh, and I'm glad to see they're going to be a little fantasy flavor and a little cyberpunk flavor. It's like some chocolate and some vanilla. Um, uh, so, okay, McMaster, McMaster, when can we play The Witcher 3, colon, Wild Hunt? Um, I think it was March 15th. Don't even tease people like that. That's cool. Because <laughs> they have to wait until 2014. Oh, oh, well, that's what I meant. But you know what? Maybe you're not wrong, McMaster. It could be March 15th on 2014. It so
1: could
0: might. be. <laughs> uh, all right, so that's great news. Uh, could always use some more Witcher. Uh, McMaster, what level are you in The Witcher 2?
1: Oh, you,
0: you <laughs> knucklehead. Whatever nice. level, all right, whatever level you are on, that plus one. Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, you're like level one, I guess. Uh, all right. So that's your news of the week, uh, Ian. What do you have for news of the week?
2: So my news of the week was something that I found quite interesting. It was a report by a company called App Annie. it
0: oh, that uh, App Annie. That's really a cute name for a consulting for a marketing research company. <laughs> yeah,
2: that, that's trying to uh, make sense of you know where the game business is. Going as it heaves and hoes, I suppose. And, uh, and one of the things that came out of it, sort of, of the graphs that you can break down, is the relative size of the mobile market versus the traditional handheld market. So mm-hmm. basically, Nintendo and Sony versus Apple and, uh, Google. Mm-hmm. And that in this, uh, Snapshot. Now, it's not enough information here to say w- trends exactly, but it, this snapshot of a single quarter, the, there was a rough parity between the two. Um, if you add iOS and Google Play together, they come out a little bit bigger, but not that much bigger than the traditional
0: handheld market. Mm-hmm. Now, and, uh, go ahead, sorry. Go ahead. And well, I, I, just I thought to say a couple consistent. of, uh, yeah, and a couple of things though that, uh, just to specify, uh, this, is, this is not necessarily based on, like, the titles moved or anything. This is consumer spending. This is the yes, amount exactly. of money spent on uh, both iOS and Google compared to the handheld stuff, uh, which is a, a much purer way to put it than titles downloaded. Because one of the things that I noticed in this report, Ian, everything, without exception, all of the titles listed, well, I say the top five titles listed, which presumably are responsible for a lot of the revenue, were free to play. So it, it's kind of pitting like how much money are these free to play games on iOS and Android making versus how much they're making uh at Nintendo and Sony selling what are basically the top five for the Nintendo, or three Mario games, an Animal Crossing game, and a uh what was the last one? Oh a Pokemon game. Um, so uh so when you just look at the money that they're making, it was pretty much neck and neck, wasn't it?
2: It's very close, yeah. And uh, this is really interesting because you know when you talk to people, there's sort of a I don't know an attitude that you know the with Apple, Apple's opened it up to so many people. There's so much more you know over in the Apple land. There's more and more and more. But uh, the pie is about the same size, it appears. It's just being sliced a heck of a lot more into much smaller pieces, right?
0: Um, uh, you're, on the uh, iOS, you're saying. Yeah yeah because there aren't conventional there's the conventional publisher structure isn't there like you don't have right
2: yeah, there's just so many games there right mm-hmm. that um that so like the kind of the impression i had uh, previous to reading this uh is that the the sort of the sales graph of like the mobile stuff is kind of like the traditionals but more extreme which is that the 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 hits make the majority of the money right but Dad, I think that the on the I had this impression that on the you know iOS side the the winners are winning larger and the losers are losing harder. Um and while this graph doesn't necessarily say that, if the if the amount of money being pushed around is the same, there's just a lot more games on that device. Right? Like um I think somebody had said that there's more games in Apple Land Than there are in all the consoles and PCs combined. Um, So it's it's a staggering amount of competition for a Uh, similar sized thing.
0: And I I would also like. I wonder if people look at this and are wanting to say, "Oh, the uh, you know the iOS games are beating the Nintendo handheld games," Uh, but I don't really think it's that clear. Like what 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 I'm Stricken. What, what what strikes me when I look at the top five for the iOS versus the top five for the Nintendo is that they're they're such completely different markets and they're not competing with each other. Uh, like it's not a matter of divvying up one big pie. It's two completely separate pies. Uh, and and I don't I can't imagine they're they're in that di- they're in direct competition that much.
2: Um, well, that's harder to say. I mean, this da- this data doesn't tell us that. Because it's only a snapshot. It's not looking at trends. But like, I know that last year, uh, some mark, another marketing research team said that the number one requested gift was an iPad and the number two requested gift was a 3DS. <laughs> and like, I went to a wedding last summer in which there were two twin boys, each fif- you know, 15 years old. And one of them, uh, played. His phone, you know. They say, "Oh, these, my boys love video games." And so I asked right. them what they were playing, and one of them was like, "He plays it on the phone. He plays the Angry Birds," and the other one plays the DS. And so you had like in one family. I don't know whether it's a trend or not, but it was kind
0: of like fascinating to to hear the two answers. You know, I guess the Angry Birds thing. I, I, I fair point. Like, I, I I'm. Maybe reading too much into what the top five are because I I had never heard of any of these uh, and they're right. all free to play things that is just not part of my experience as a video gamer uh, and I you know I I kind of pride myself on playing a wide range of things and I didn't know what any of these were I mean I'd heard of one of them before um, so I. M- the conclusion I drew, and I guess this is incorrect, is that that's a completely different kind of video gaming. It's a completely different market, you know. But I, I guess I did forget the Angry Birds contingent, or people playing Plants vs. Zombies on their, their iPhone or whatnot. not. Yeah. Um, but Master, I have a quiz for you. Are you ready for this? Yes. I'm gonna give you six video game names. Five of these are in the top five on the iOS. The sixth I have completely invented. I want you to tell me what the fake game is that is not in the top five. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. Clash of Clans, Cabin Fever, Puzzle and Dragons, Heyday, Kingdoms of Camelot, and The Simpsons Tapped Out. I'm going to give them to you again real quick. And listeners, you can play as well. Clash of Clans, Cabin Fever, Puzzle and Dragons... Heyday, Kingdoms of Camelot, and The Simpsons tapped out. One of those. Not only is it not in the top five of iOS games, it doesn't even exist. What would you guess that is, McMaster? And Ian, Um, if McMaster doesn't get it, you get the chance to win this round and take all the money.
1: My gut says my gut says Heyday, but I think that's wrong. So I'm going to go with Heyday.
0: All right, Ian. McMaster did not get it. That leaves five titles. Heyday is a real thing. It's published by Supercell, which is, I think, they're a bunch of Finns who uh, are doing really well in the free-to-play market. Ian, of the other five, can you guess which one is fake? Clash of Clans, Cabin Fever, Puzzle and Dragons, Kingdoms of Camelot, or The Simpsons Tapped Out? Which one of those is fake? Well, I have the list right in front of me. Ah, oh, you cheater! <laughs> so,
2: you know, in order to... Uh help people who are just now tuning into the program? Rigonauts.
0: No, no. (laughs) Uh, One of those is an
1: Eli Roth horror movie. It's Kevin Schieber. I almost said that, but I was like, it sounds like something that could be on the freaking iPhone. The Simpsons almost got my vote, too.
0: That's actually, yeah, so it's EA's uh, presence on the top five, and I didn't realize this. The Simpsons tapped out. Free-to-play game, for Pete's sake. Ugh. Here's another one for you, McMaster. Uh, on uh, worldwide smartphones, the, the installed base on smartphones, these are the operating systems Like in terms of what percentage of the, the market share they have. 54% of worldwide smartphones are running Android. 18% are running iOS. 14% in third place are running something called Symbian which I only know about from having seen it on the Howard Stern show. I had no idea it had anything to do with uh, with smartphones. Do you know about this,
1: McMaster? Um, Symbian is a little different. No, I'm pretty sure uh, I've seen uh, it on Howard Stern.
0: I, I've heard of this. I didn't know. Uh,
1: <laughs> uh, no, I, I think you're spelling it uh, a touch there.
0: It's McMaster, I know what I know. That's just all I want to say about that.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I'm sure you do. <laughs> All right, are you guys ready for my news of the week?
0: Let's get serious yes. here. Uh, this will uh, no longer be news as of... Uh, well, actually, it's a rumor now. It will no longer be a rumor as of next week. Um, but apparently the next Assassin's Creed is called Black Flag. So, first of all, Henry Rollins should sue. Uh, and second of all, it's freaking pirates. Assassin's Creed with pirates. Who, in their right mind, would not be elated... About that. McMaster, are you excited about Assassin's Creed with Pirates?
1: How can you not be? I mean, say what you will, but uh, yeah, a pirate theme for that game would be fantastic.
0: And just fleshing out that naval combat stuff. Uh, I'm so looking forward to seeing what they do uh, with that. Now we don't know for sure. It is in the realm of rumor at this point, but uh, Kotaku posted someone's snapshot. It looked like it was taken in the back room of a GameStop or something of a, of a promotional poster. Um, but if you go back even f- further, there the rumor has emerged. I love this one. Uh, someone on Reddit was sitting on an airplane, you know, just flying somewhere, and he looks over at the lady next to him working on her laptop, and she's working on a PowerPoint presentation that mentions Ubisoft's lineup for, for the coming months, and what caught his eye was the reference to something called Assassin's Creed Black Flag. So he immediately goes to Reddit and writes, hey, some chick on the airplane was uh, doing this. Uh, so there, there was kind of a little marketing leak in the sense of someone just working on something on an airplane, and it let word get out about... uh Black Flag. So that's great news. That is the next Assassin's Creed. Presumably it'll be out this holiday season. We don't know for sure. Maybe we'll hear more about that next week. But uh, Assassin's Creed with pirates. Can't go wrong with that. Uh, Ian, are you an Assassin's Creed dude?
2: I haven't really gotten into it. Everyone, they always sound so uneven uh, when people yeah. oh, tell yeah. me. Like, and like the last one you almost made me want to play, but when you said it took six hours to get good, I just don't have six hours at this time.
0: Oh! Well, it says the guy who's a Metal Gear Solid fan.
2: Oh, they, 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 they put lots of interruptions, but there's like a little there's like 15 minutes of good, and then you get a uh, jumble of words, yeah.
0: Yeah, I like how suddenly you're all picky about the time you spend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well, let's get to some games of the week. McMaster, you've already let slip on this podcast today that your game of the week is not World of Warcraft. I find it yep. a little hard to believe. <laughs> Uh, what could you possibly have chosen, given your newfound uh, love, well, I guess, rediscovered love for World of Warcraft? What could you have possibly chosen this week for your Game of the Week, if not World of Warcraft?
1: Uh, well, it's not far from World of Warcraft. Uh, StarCraft II, Heart of the Swarm, beta, I've been playing in some of my uh, downtime. and uh, It's kind of interesting, but it's, hey, more StarCraft II.
0: First of all, I, I find it a little unfair that you're already playing this. Like, like I think you and I should start on an even keel when the game actually <laughs> comes out. Oh, no, no,
1: I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> we right, didn't so wait, start on even keel in Age of Empires Three, did we? Well, even keel, given you know, I, I've maybe
0: got a little bit more, slightly a little bit more of a background in it than you. But
1: uh, oh yeah,
0: yeah, just a touch. Um, all
1: right, so
0: tell us about it. What uh, it's adding new units to all the races? Is that
1: what you're fiddling with? You know, I have, like, very little. uh I've mostly been playing with a Protoss, and I've mostly just been... And the reason I haven't fiddled too much with the new units is they've added a new mode to matchmaking where you can play against AI, and it's actually uh set up quite like their standard matchmaking, where you play a few games against the AI for it to guess your... uh you know, mm-hmm. difficulty level. And then you continue to play and whether you you win or lose adjust the difficulty as you go. Oh, I guess the anyway. AI though, like for single player right. for skirmishes. Right. right. Like or that. you can do co op, I think, two V AI. Um, and uh yeah, you get uh experience and stuff like that for your character and you unlock different you know, patches and stuff like that to put on your, you know, or portraits, I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and that's mostly what I've been messing with. Uh so uh when you play against the computer, and I, I guess if you're not a StarCraft fan, you, you don't know this, but I know Tom does, you cannot screw around. There is no screw around with the computer, because it is, it is there to kill you.
0: It is aggressive, it will not make mistakes, it's more than happy to out-micro you. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: So, like, I did notice, however... Um when I was uh creating a custom game earlier that you can choose the strategy for the computer. Which I thought was kinda weird, like turtle and all that. But uh but yeah, I don't think that it does that on average in the uh matchmaking. So you have to be really fast with it. Um and playing uh Protoss and Terran and Zerg, which god i the worst at Zerg. Uh,
0: That's okay, McMaster. I'll I'll school you
1: with some Zerg. Oh yeah, you gonna do that? I'm interested in seeing that.
0: Uh, what makes you lean towards the Protoss? What, why do you why do you uh, want to mess with those guys?
1: Um, there's a few key advantages, I think, in StarCraft II. I always liked their units anyway. I like the carriers. I mean, it's not what I use, but I really like them. Um, but. Uh... I, I, I'm, I've been very fond of not having to dedicate a unit's either life or a certain amount of time to build a structure. Uh, you know, just being able to warp it in is pretty sweet.
0: Uh, and then move your little probe on to do something else, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So you don't have any downtime with the guys. Of course, they're, you know, uh, everything Protoss is slower and more expensive. But since the uh, base has that chrono boost stuff, it's, it, it kind of goes a little crazy if you set it up right um and just kind of like uh set up a hotkey for all your bases you can sit there and chrono boost a ton of stuff just over and over again and um yeah, that that kind of thing really uh i like void rays a lot i like uh you know it's hard to argue with a lot of their troops actually can
0: you tell me anything about the new protoss toys do you have you noticed any of or fiddled with any of those Uh, yet
1: I really haven't, you know, I mean the only ones I've looked at is the, uh, is the Terran has, uh, the Reaper mine, like a bunch, or the Black, or the Widow mine, I think, actually, something like that. Uh, they, uh, and it's kind of like a one-shot kill, if I'm right, uh, but uh, it's, it's, it's interesting, but like a lot of the stuff has been taken out. Um, since their reveal a couple of years ago, so that's... Oh,
0: that's you mean kinda... stuff they said is going to be part of the expansion? Right. Like, oh, never mind, we're not doing that.
1: Right, right. Okay. So, uh, yeah, which I thought was, a uh, you know, was a little weird. So um, you don't even know what new toys I get playing the Zerg? You don't know what I'm going to get to use to kill you? God, there was a few things. I know that... Oh, God, there's, uh, there's more burrowing... Uh oh yeah and and the mine by the way is uh it, it can burrow etc and you know explode does a lot of damage. Uh but I believe there's a burrowing charge for one of the lists. Which one was it?
0: Um, well McMaster, here's my advice to you. When you're right. playing the Protoss, just boom to get to carriers. Just do whatever it takes to oh, get yeah. carriers. You know, it, it might take a while, but those carriers are awesome. Do that. And you know what? I don't even worry about any sort of Zergling rush. I'm probably oh. going to be going to Ultralisks. Yeah. So you just go straight to carriers. I'll probably be going to Ultralisks. I can't say for sure. So that's my advice to you. Just take your time to get some carriers out. As the Zerg player, you know, I'll probably be doing some long-term strategy as well. So you're going to be fine. I will probably leave you alone long enough for you to get your carriers out. So that's my advice, My strategy advice to you, McMaster.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, oh, okay. Well, here's some new units for you. Uh, the Viper is a new support unit. It's for thirds? Yes, and it uh converts, oh, does some crazy stuff, actually. It converts life into, uh da- or damage into life if you can, like, eat buildings, it looks like. Okay. Um, I like that. Creates cloud for 14 seconds, so that it reduces attack range of ground units in its melee range. That's pretty sweet. I'll be uh, using that
0: on your little. Uh, what are those little tripod things that the the ranged units for the Protoss? What are those called? Reapers. What? Are, they're like little weird tripod, robot-y kind of things that shoot.
1: Yeah, you know, your. Uh, what are they? Called? I know they. Have they, they can teleport. They can. Can uh, yeah, help us out here? Ian.
0: Something. Oh no, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh dadgummit, what are they called? This is this is the most basic thing. Not reap.
1: It really <laughs> is. Uh I can't remember. Sentry. That.
0: No, sentries are the little glow ball things. Uh, uh, uh stalkers. Stalkers. Stalkers, yes, thank you, McMaster. Yes.
1: Uh stalkers
0: all right, is so weak. McMaster, if you want to make Queen, Queen of Blades? Hey, Ian pulled out a StarCraft reference. Very good, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> uh so the the beta is is anyone who how do you get to play the beta, McMaster? How does that work?
1: Um, I think they opened it up to a lot of people anyway, but I uh, pre-ordered the Collectors because I like their Collectors Edition. Oh, order. what do you get with the Collectors Edition? Um, let's see. You get, like, a World of Warcraft pet, I think. Uh, but you but get, like, a right, bunch
0: McMaster, of... McMaster, I'm on to you now. It's the only reason you're freaking into this is to get whatever... No, a- I like... Protoss, sell uh, it, World of Warcraft pet. McMaster, I'm you're... you're sir- death
1: ...parent. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, How... How dare you insult my, uh, devotion to Sarah Kerrigan's cause? Uh. <laughs> just look that name up. You don't even know who that is. <laughs> you just care oh, about exactly. World of Pet. Oh, Uh. Word. No, no, you get, uh, you get all sorts of stuff, uh, you know, but it's all, like, kinda goofy, really. I just like their boxes.
0: Yeah, their <laughs> yeah. boxes, the, and the code in them that gives you a World of Warcraft Pet. Oh, for God's
1: sake. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> whatever.
0: Just for that, McMaster, I cannot wait to shellac you in uh, heart of this form. When
1: when does this come out? It's not till like mid March, right? Yeah, well, you got like two weeks, uh, a little under two weeks now. Three twelve. I
0: don't even need to practice, McMaster. I'm not going to pick it up until it's actually out, and then you and I are going to have a game, and I'll give you the what for at that point. Oh no. <laughs> uh, oh. You, you don't. You don't do RTSs. Is that is that pretty? Well, your- I, I used
2: to like when I was younger. Then I kind of burned out on them, and uh, when. Uh, this may sound silly, but like I was so into Warhammer forty K that oh. when when um when StarCraft One first came out, I was like it's 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 Warhammer forty K and I kinda turned my nose up at it back then. Now I'm much more even keel and accepting, but uh
0: You were like me with Metal Gear Solid turning up his nose at this fake snake Pliskin. That's right. <laughs> it's like, You're like, I prefer the original source material, not this derivative crap. Yeah. Yeah. And you then affix your monocle more securely when you say that, right? That's right. <laughs> uh, well, Ian, come on in. So uh, the the irony of StarCraft, and back me up on this, Master, if you agree. As a multiplayer game, it's incredibly brutal. It's really finicky, very competitive. But say what you will about the single player campaign, it's real accepting to just get in there and dink around and level up and choose upgrades like like Blizzard. As they normally do, has pulled off this this amazing combination of casual friendly and hardcore addicting. Wouldn't you agree with that, McMaster?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and StarCraft Two specifically, being able to play uh, a wide range of AI and uh, just being able to play around with yeah. all the cool units and stuff. It's it's a really good experience. It's just it's a very frustrating experience if you want to take it beyond casual. We'll put it that way.
2: That's right. my, my business partner's like that. He uh, he takes his StarCraft very seriously to the point of he doesn't switch armies because if he was playing something other than I think it's the Protoss, it means he'd be not practicing his Protoss game.
0: Ian, whatever you do, if you ever want to jump into StarCraft 2, do not play with your business partner.
2: Uh, no, no, no. He he uh, he played until I think he reached you know the. Top ten or five percent of players, and then he just said he finished the game, and that was uh, that was his end game attitude. All
0: right, uh, all right so uh, McMaster, uh, that's you're basically our, our resident Blizzard fanboy. World of Warcraft last week, StarCraft two this week, next week uh, you'll probably be discovering this cool new thing called Diablo three.
1: Oh yeah, no, I, you know that's the problem I have with Blizzard is they produce such good stuff, but they don't make anything new, so it's almost kind of Boring to talk about Blizzard stuff A lot of the time There's nothing ever It's, it's you know, I don't know And, it,
0: and it's, <laughs> it's real easy to just sort of fall into it You know, uh, enjoying yeah, a Blizzard oh, yeah. game Enjoying a Blizzard game is like falling off a log
1: <laughs> It really is it, It's like it's like uh, Starting smoking again or something You know, it's like you go Oh god, you know uh, This is awesome, I love smoking But man, I really wish I hadn't uh,
0: Yeah, it's like I, I only play Blizzard games when I drink Yeah, (laughs) there you
2: go. I'm oddly immune. I played 10 days of World of Warcraft, and I really enjoyed it, and then I stopped.
0: Ian's like one of those guys who can't commit to smoking, also. He's like, oh, what's the big deal with cigarettes? I'll smoke them for 10 days, and then I'm done. What's the matter with you, Ian?
2: Well, it's because, like, I I think I was uh, hitting some wolves for their meat, and I only had 45 minutes to play, and I didn't... Get my, all the meat I needed for the quest, and this little voice in my head said, "You know, there's a designer who could move the slider just a little bit to the left, and then I could have finished that quest tonight." And then it just all the pressure just sort of drifted away. And I said, and I went to the big city and I saw everybody playing. I'm all this is cool, and then I was done.
0: Uh, McMaster, you can tell that Ian is completely a non-MMO player the way he says, <laughs> "quote hitting some wolves for their meat."
1: <laughs> well right either that or just i don't know is There's
2: that no, what everybody does something
1: deeply hidden there <laughs> yeah Ian. We, we play mmos to hit wolves for their meat yeah that's <laughs> definitely
0: it I mean, that's just the quest <laughs> of the night you know
1: uh all right
0: ian well congratulations you know what Ian? i feel i feel the same way about sports i'm so glad i'm not into sports because that would just be that much more time l- that would be that much less time i would have for things that i actually like uh I, I think you're, you're probably, there's something healthy to you taking that approach to Blizzard in general and MMOs in specific. So, well done. Well, I do
2: like listening to how people talk about them. So, like, I could probably, you know, blabble a little bit about, you know, like EverQuest game mechanics and sitting mm-hmm. for the tick and things like that. But, uh, because I, I get kind of interested in, in the game as it exists in people's heads.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But no, I don't oh, usually sure. play them so much. Yeah.
0: Hidden Wolves for me. Uh, That's good. It's,
1: I that mean, it's really I, for yeah. the better, you know. <laughs> they're they're a very destructive force.
0: <laughs> and McMaster, you're killing video gaming by going back to World of Warcraft. I hope you know, it's not. Like, yeah, you
1: know. I hope so. I mean, I I, uh, I want video gaming to see the, my boot heel on uh, on its throat for the rest of time. Jason H. Jason McMaster, you
0: are you are to video gaming as the Joker is to Gotham City.
1: I was uh, I was making like a, a very very specific 1984 reference, and you call me the Joker. Well, I mean, I like the Joker, but you could have you could have gone Orwell.
0: Yeah, sorry, I don't I don't do Orwell. Don't, oh my. Let's talk about Ian's game of the week. I can't wait to hear this, Ian. What have you? T- you know what? Let me get mine out of the way real quick. Uh, Ian, can we save you for last? Hi, whatever. It's your show, man. Okay, let's save you for last, Ian. So uh, my game of the week, uh, I, I would normally just want to gush enthusiastically about Tomb Raider. It's not out yet, so let's save that for next week. My game of the week would normally be, I'm just so into playing that. I, God, I love it. I'm on my second playthrough. Tomb Raider's so freaking good, uh, but we'll get into that later. Uh, I'm also really, really digging the Star Wars pinball game. McMaster, Do you have? has your wife been knocking my oh. high scores down in Star Wars pinball?
1: Not yet, but that reminds me. Thank you for reminding me, Tom. That's exactly what I needed to do. Sarah, there's new Star Wars pinball tables. You need to go hit it. You need to destroy Tom's store (laughs) as quickly as possible. Hey, you jerk.
0: Uh, (laughs) Anyway, let me tell you, it was so awesome before it actually came out to have Star Wars pinball. When you open up the Zen Pinball game, uh, Pinball FX on the 360. It gives you a grid for all the tables, and it gives you a little, uh, like a gold ribbon like you might win at the county fair for having the best hog or whatever. It gives you a little gold ribbon over every table where you've got the highest score. So there were like, you know, four days of sheer bliss where every time I went to play it, every single Star Wars table, I had the gold ribbon simply because it wasn't out and nobody else I knew had been playing it. So I'm kind of loath now to go in and boot it up and, and See that probably some jerk has stolen my gold ribbon, and now that you've told Sarah to play, I will never get those gold yeah. ribbons back.
1: What? What's even better, Tom, is that yeah. her Xbox is still packed up, so she's going to have to use mine. Oh, it's so delicious.
0: <laughs> it's <laughs> Wait a minute! Not your gamer tag. Your wife oh, can't use your gamer
1: tag. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's delicious. It's okay, delicious. McMaster. Your, your,
0: yeah. Your gamer score now, Mcmaster, is completely invalid. It gets an asterisk on it from in, in
1: perpetuity. You have, an asterisk asterisk. Two, if you have an asterisk, too. You have an asterisk, too. One's, no one's accepting that. Why do I have an asterisk? Because you always bring up your uh, your debug unit. You always bring it up. Whenever you talk about your gamer score, you always have to bring that up. It's like you feel slighted by the debug unit. Okay, you know what? Fair point, McMaster. My asterisk
0: means that my score should be higher. Your asterisk right. means that your score should be lower. Fair point. <laughs> Uh, let's see, another thing I could mention, but I'm not going to, uh, well, that I could bring up as my Game of the Week, but I'm not going to, Brutal Legend just came out for the PC. It's yeah. been so much fun to dive back into that. Uh, I've got it installed on a few computers here, and I'm hoping to talk some of my friends into playing the multiplayer here on a LAN. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, but what I'm going to pick for my Game of the Week um it's kind of obscure i don't know that a lot of people dig these games they're kind of dry in a certain way uh there's a series of jrpgs called uh etrian odyssey um and the fourth one just came out uh these are very uh i want to say grind heavy and i don't necessarily mean that as a bad thing uh but you basically have to grind a lot. Like, you have to go through some of the same dungeons and go to different crannies, and sometimes you're going to have to back up because you can't get as far as you need it to. So it's replaying a lot of the same areas. Uh, and a lot of times you'll come to an area where the monsters are too tough and you're not ready, so you have to go replay another dungeon and do some battles to level your guys up a little bit. Um, so if you can accept that, uh, these games are great for how they, they let you uh, and actually, force you to. You have to do this. You draw the map as you're playing on the touchpad for the DS. This is okay. one of those rare games that could not work on any other system because it's all about getting the little stylus out and drawing the walls and indicating where doors are. Okay. Mm,
1: oh, sorry, I had something stuck in there. Oh, I guess you're right. Well, yeah. But see, the thing is, McMaster.
0: Part of what makes it work so well on the DS is that you're you've always got the map open in front of you because of the twin screens. The iPad could do that, but I think it would be a bit more challenging. It's kind of like playing with a pad of graph paper open next to you. Uh, and well, I guess the iPad could split the screen. Well, so
1: right? Yeah, it could just do it, except much bigger and easier to see. Um, or hey, the Wii U could do it.
0: Okay, so there's only three <laughs> systems these games could work on. <laughs> You have a point. Uh, but one of the things I love about these, these games is yeah. they can be very challenging. Uh, the combat can be really tough, especially if you're pushing into areas that you're not quite ready to get to. But for the most part, these are what I like to call, uh, low brain power games. <laughs> and they are perfect for like listening to a podcast or there are very few games that qualify for this, watching a crappy movie. Oh. So, I recently watched all freaking three hours, I had no idea it was a made-for-TV movie that was three hours, of uh, Stephen King's Langoliers.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. What were you thinking? I did that, like, a year ago, because I was on this kick, and oh, my God, that is the worst movie. Yeah,
0: it is awful, isn't it, McMaster? It's, oh. it's three filler-packed oh. hours of awful. Um, okay. Also- yeah, exactly. Okay. Falky
1: is the the villain. He's like the scenery chewing villain, and the, the yeah, effects the are worst terrible. Villain ever yeah, worst. Yeah. Oh, the effects are the most offensive part. Like the movie, I think could have gotten away with being uh, just bad if it hadn't shown what it showed at the end. It's definitely the sort
0: of thing, or I, I don't, I don't know, what, uh, Stephen King, whatever. I'm sure some people like him. I still don't get it. Uh But it's uh-huh. the sort of thing where you're like, maybe this could have possibly worked as a novel, where he's just having to describe stuff, and you don't have to actually see it represented on a screen. But it, it, it gets ridiculous. Um, yeah. But the, the only way I was able to power through that McMaster, I was basically playing Etrian Odyssey for the entire time. Oh yeah. Which I could do. I'm sitting there playing, and I'm giving my attack orders, and I'm going down this corridor, and every now and then I glance at the screen, and oh, there's Bronson Pinchot being a goofball, and oh, it's the little, uh, there's some plot development about time travel, whatever, and I'm playing Etrian Odyssey. So Etrian Odyssey is a great way to pass the time during crappy movies. Also, it works, McMaster. Uh, uh, pet Cemetery.
1: <laughs> a oh, be a pet cemetery. That, that's a better movie than The Langoliers by a damn sight. It's still not good. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, wow. Langoliers. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, one of the things that uh, I would say about Etrian Odyssey that someone expressed... Uh, so we've had a fellow on the podcast named Rob Harvey before. He posts as a chaplain on our quarter to three forums. And in discussing Etrian Odyssey, he compared it to the Monster Hunter series. And moment he said that, I was like, what? Not really. Why do you say that? But then he explained how in Monster Hunter, what drives you forward is that every time you're killing a new monster, you're getting new materials that then translates into new gear for your hunter. So killing a monster, basically, it doesn't drop treasure, it lets you make new treasure. Uh, and there's something similar, and this was his point, in Etrian Odyssey, where when you kill new monsters, they drop new materials. And the way Etrian Odyssey works is you take this material and you sell it to the vendor. But you don't just get money for it. I mean, you do get that. But the, ven- the vendor keeps a stockpile of everything you've sold him. And that stockpile determines not only what you can make, but how many pieces of that particular item you can make, and how much you can craft it up to be a better item. So when you're going out, it, it's very much like Monster Hunter in this sense of, hey, I'm going out into these dungeons, I'm farming them for materials, I'm bringing them back to base, and then from this stockpile, I'm outfitting my party. Um, uh, and another thing that struck me in Etrian Odyssey, uh, it's a party-based fantasy RPG, uh, is every fantasy RPG based on this model of tanking, healing, and
1: DPS? Almost all.
0: I, Man, I couldn't think... I mean, it's just so bald here. It's just... It's so clearly that's all you're doing. I mean, I've got a tank, I've got my one dedicated healer, and then the other three are just straight-up DPS classes. And that, you know, it's efficient. Yeah. It gets me through the, the encounters. I, I just don't know that there's any other way to play. I mean, you can alternate, you can choose, you can make different choices for who's doing your DPS, for how you're tanking, that sort of thing. Um, but it's just it's just so familiar.
2: Uh, I guess you have to go really far off the beaten path to get away from that, like World Ends of You or the Mario
1: and Luigi or, um, RPG ah. games. Ni No Kuni uh, is, yeah, doesn't really does say I don't understand, you're just talking baby talk. What was that? Uh, <laughs> that's a, oh, well, let me, let me, see. how do you say it? Uh, Nuni? Cooney or something oh yeah yeah right,
0: right right. wrath of the white witch yeah
1: <laughs> i think right, it's right.
2: pronounced kanye no conney
0: <laughs> oh that could be it yeah, yeah. you you kids mm-hmm. in your rap music uh, uh you, i also think like is nino Cooney's not party
1: based though is it it's a party rapper no it is kind of party based you oh, it, it is okay
0: yeah, what, well, what I'm wondering, McMaster, is if, if you have, because uh, e Odyssey is very much party-based, if you have a party, if you're going to be playing with a, a party, is it necessarily going to be uh, tank, DPS, healing? And if you're playing with a single character, you know, you have to come up with some other paradigm.
1: Uh, well, yeah, in that game, your party is that you can switch out at, at any point back and forth, ah, train right. all sorts of different little dudes with abilities, and you, you don't, I mean, there is a sort of, you know, there's a character you want to throw out there if you're getting your butt kicked, because he can take more damage, and I don't think there's really a healer class at all. Right. Um, and they all just kind of vary back and forth. There might be a healer class, out, but uh, it just, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't seem quite as much like the Holy Trinity.
0: Uh, Ian, I don't feel that World Ends With You is mentioned enough on this or any other podcast. <laughs> it's a good thing. It's very liked
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, alright, so there's my game of the week, a little Etrian Odyssey, some old school JRPG that would only work, it could only work on three different platforms. <laughs> Once, beyond those three only. platforms, yeah, only work there. Uh, alright, so Ian, that's down to you. What is your game of the week? It's not gonna be an MMO. It's not Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Uh, what does that leave for you?
2: Well, I had to, I had to think hard about this one because, uh, there were like two contenders. So one that I had played a little bit of and found interesting. The one that was like, I played the heck out of it and was the most recent game I finished. So I went which with is, that
0: one. Which is the one you oh. didn't pick? Tell us that one first.
2: The one I didn't pick is a board game called Puzzle Strike.
0: That's a terrible name for a board game. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like, that's one of those, isn't that one of the top five free to play games on the iOS? Yeah. <laughs> that's what it sounds like, yeah.
2: Oh, I guess I never thought of it that way. It's a, it's a, it's a board game inspired by combining uh, the old Capcom game Puzzle Fighter mm. with um, the deck-building mechanics of Dominion. That's weird.
0: That is weird. I'm like, hmm, who, po- who makes this, Ian?
2: It's made by a guy named uh, David Serlin, who is, uh, was also hired to rebalance when they did the HD version of um, Street Fighter Two. Mm-hmm. Super turbo, if you're counting all the extra <laughs> no. terms in there, and um, and so it's uh, that one's a uh, it's pretty good. Is my initial exp- uh, experience with it? They've had he's on his third edition. I've only played the second, and so he's he's trying to make it even better. But I, uh, compared to my little experience with Dominion, it has a lot more player interaction, so I like it quite a bit.
0: Is it one of those like a like a living card game where you buy decks based on different characters? I think I'm thinking of something else.
2: No, no, it's, he does have a game a little bit like that. But this one, it's just, instead of cards, it's played with chips. And you put the chips in the bag so you don't have to always, uh, shuffle your cards. And then you pull them out and, uh, and you try to build little combos that, that throw gems onto the enemy to fill up their little Tetris board.
0: Is this an old game or is it new? Uh,
2: the third edition came out last year.
0: Okay. okay. Cash, McMaster, how come you've never heard of this? What's your excuse?
1: And I'll be honest with you, I think I did hear about it. I just didn't. It seems like recently someone was telling me about All right.
0: it. Uh, can they give it a different name so that I would remember <laughs> it better? Man, yeah, Nookie Nookie Soldier. <laughs> All right, so Puzzle Strike, intriguing but not your Game of the Week, And What does that leave you with for Game of the Week?
2: My Game of the Week is uh, Unity of Command Red Turn.
0: Isn't that one of those wargamey things that n- that nerdy beardy men play?
2: You know, I the reason I thought it also was uh fitting to bring up because I don't think people can talk enough about unity of command. But the strange thing is most people talk about it kind of like you just said.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But for me it just felt like Advanced Wars kind of grown up. I don't mean grown up in that it's like gritty. I just meant that like you know, sometimes a more mature design is one where you, you strip back what you don't need, right? Huh. And, uh, you know, so it actually has less units than Advanced Wars, but it's just as easy to sort of pick up and play. And then they added Zone of Control and this little s- simple supply mechanic, which is just brilliant. And so, I don't know, I'm, I've never played anything by Paradox Interactive. But I 100%ed every level in all three campaigns of Unity of Command.
0: Whoa! Oh wait, wait. So when you say you haven't played a paradox game, they didn't publish this, right? You're just comparing it to their their fiddly wargamey things. Yeah, or they yeah, did it, publish it.
2: Like I, I listen to your buddies at the uh, Three Moves Ahead, uh-huh. and they they talk about it in terms of the wargames they play. Right. Right? And, uh, I've never played any of those war games. Yeah, Paradox has nothing to do with Unity of Command, but...
0: Okay, I just wanted to verify. Right, right. So, uh, so even if you're not into, like, those kind of, as you are, you're not into that level of war gaming, this completely clicked with you to the point where you, as you said, 100%ed all the levels.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I like it better than Advanced Wars. Or, well, I like Advanced Wars a lot. So, but in terms of, for a player that likes that kind of game, I think, uh, Unity of Command was a... It was a real breath of fresh air. And also, if you have any interest in the history, one thing I found totally fascinating about it was that, um, you know, you hear these these terms, you know, pockets and spearheads and breakthroughs. The way the rules of unity of command work Mm -hmm. is that those things just suddenly automatically just develop right in front of you. And suddenly all this, like, History terms just slot into place very naturally, and you and it becomes a whole new way of looking at the world.
0: Now, how? So, uh, a quick question, and then another less quick question. The quick question is, which has the cuter units, Advance Wars or Unity of Command? <laughs> I, I, I guess I guess Advance Wars is definitely cuter. Come on, they're little bobblehead. They're adorable in, in Unity of Command, aren't they? Aren't they little cute bobbleheaded dudes? No, well, but they're not plucky girls. Good point. You do for their camera. <laughs> uh, and then the second question, uh, how did you how did you come to play this?
2: It just uh, I just heard uh, some nice things about it. Everyone was talking about how accessible it was, and uh, it sounded like you know I, I think I actually once did try to play uh, you know one of the hearts of iron or something, and I just looked at all those buttons.
0: Yeah, don't don't do that, Ian.
2: That's and I said, uh, you know, one or two of these buttons are the important ones, and I'll never figure it out if I. <laughs> and um, and so I don't know. I just uh, the way people talked about it made it sound like a game I should check out. And then I saw, I think I saw a trailer, and I was like, looks looks good.
0: Uh, when you talk about hundred percenting the 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 level, so is it is it scenarios or what's the overall? When you buy it, what's in the box? Like do you? Are there, there are different battles that you fight? What are what are these levels that you're talking about?
2: Describing? So, uh, Unity of Command, uh, the first, the the way it ships is, um, there are two campaigns, one for the Germans and one for the Russians, and there is a couple. You can play any scenario, you know, outside the campaign if you want. And then there's like two or three scenarios that have that are not in the campaigns, but most of the content is playing through the two campaigns. And then they recently, late last year, they released uh, a third campaign, which is uh, Russians marching on Berlin, essentially.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm confused. How do I play the Americans in D-Day?
2: Yeah, I know, no, man. <laughs> I haven't found that army yet.
0: <laughs> uh, I, I do kind of, I don't know if you follow this sort of thing, but there's a, an RTS called the uh, Company of Heroes, and I believe the next Company of Heroes is the Eastern Front. Like, it's not Americans. It's Russians yeah. and Germans. Uh, and I kind of, I you know, I'm an American, so I, I, I can understand why companies do this. But I have to admire any war gamer that's just like, you know what? Screw me, the Western Front. <laughs> There's a lot of crazy stuff happening <laughs> on the Eastern Front. Here, here's what we're going to look at.
2: Uh, well, it was where the real big fight was, right? Like, I mean, the just the level of men and material... Charging well, hey,
0: Battle of the Bulge! Battle of the Bulge! GM, come on, man! Battle ah, of the Bulge! Sideshow. I know. Ah. I know. I mean, you're you're being. I, I think you're joking, but you're kind of correct. I mean, this the the stuff on the Western front really was kind of small potatoes compared to just the the, the grim horror and just the scale of what went on on the, on the Eastern front.
1: Uh, yeah. 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 I mean the yeah. Oh, you're talking about Russia versus uh, Germany, right? I don't know what I was thinking.
0: You might McMaster have been thinking of the Red Army Japan. and the Blue Army in advance wars. That might be. Nice. What I'm thinking of. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, no, that was that was horrifying. Yeah. That was, well, there's the
0: weather. so there's there the European theater and the Pacific theater, and the Pacific theater was pretty much us and, and Japan, but the European theater right. it was it was Germany sandwiched between the the Western powers, basically the U.S. on the left, and then this huge crazy Russian juggernaut on, on the right.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, it are- doesn't help that that Russia didn't really care about their people so much. well, I McMaster, mean, they
0: care more for the motherland.
1: right. It's more about the motherland and less about you know, you know not killing your own people a lot. <laughs> uh,
0: so uh, uh, why is it red turn then is what Ian? It's an ad. it's like DLC, right? It's a
2: uh, yeah, it's an expansion. Mm-hmm. But That has almost as much, con- maybe more content than the first game. It, it's really, it's quite a lot. It's, the campaign's about tw- twice as long, I guess, as the uh, campaign's. And it's and it's it's when the Russians come stomping back.
0: So. Uh, Ian, have you tried the multiplayer at all, or do you just play against the AI? Uh,
2: I wouldn't mind trying the multiplayer, but uh, uh, I want a lot of gamers. They just look at the, you know, they're like Eastern Front, and their their brains turn off. So. Um, so i can't find a whole lot of other players and i also i think one of the things that really makes it work is the uh, the level design is quite brilliant like people think the ai is really good but the, the secret is that the ai is is just fine but the
0: level design's really good like a, now, can like you line. elaborate a bit for me on that? Is it uh, like because I just think of the Eastern Front very often as just a line of armies sort of stacked up against each other, almost World War One level? Uh, when you talk about level design, can you elaborate a bit about what you mean?
2: Yeah, so I mean, the the part of it is that there's the objectives are very simple. You know, you essentially have a series of objectives. You need to capture it by a certain time. Okay, and they don't care how many men have to die to get there. They just you need a, you have a timetable and if you want to get 100%, you have to capture all of those. Mm-hmm. And you're right. there's often you know when the armies are set up, there's these, there's these sort of lines of uh, front lines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which the game handles very nicely. But uh, what happens is there is once a, you try to find a place in the front lines where you break through, and then a lot of the mobility comes into play, mm-hmm. um, because in this game, it's there's no real rock paper scissors. It's sort of there's there's small rocks and then there's really big rocks, <laughs> and so you you kind of are trying to apply the for figure out where to apply the force, and um, and also the distances can sometimes be quite large. Like, generally, there's like three things the player needs to do. You either need to be cutting the enemy off, killing the enemy, or moving as fast as you possibly can. And the art of the game is deciding which of those mm-hmm. to do that turn. Um, there's also levels where you will have a you know one group, maybe in the south of the map, And another group in the north of the map. And in order to keep your timetable, you need to get the guys in the north really far south. But they're going to run out of supplies. And so you need to also make sure the guys in the south can link up and uh, feed them hot soup or whatever it is they need to kill.
0: (laughs) Uh, you did mention the supply model. I always love... This is a kind of a nerdy thing, but I love seeing games playing with supply lines and stuff like that. I, I just feel that, that any old game can just have numbers thrown up against each other, but games that acknowledge the importance of maneuvering with clever uh, moves, with cutting off supply and stuff, uh, I love that sort of thing. And it sounds like they do a good job with that as well.
2: Yeah, so it really does go... The supply is what always is, um, is creating a lot of the risk because you... You know you want to get past that what you called the World War I model really fast, but once that once you've gone through there, then there's always this danger you're going to overreach and lose access to uh, well to the to the warm soup. You'll get too tired, you won't be able to fight anymore.
0: You also need uh, shoe polish and bullets. I think those were crucial as well and gold braid. And braid, yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, Unity of Command, Red Turn, I've actually, I hear people talk about this all the time. Uh, I'm a little ashamed that I haven't even tried it. I was a one-time wargamer, and I love seeing where the genre of wargames is going, and I think Unity of Command is a great example of a, a best-case scenario of what wargames have created. Um, but I haven't tried it yet, so I'm glad you mentioned it. I've
2: introduced it to some of my friends by calling it, It's My Favorite Indie Game of the Year. And then they feel a little bit uh, like I'm uh, being disingenuous once they see the peaked caps of the uh, Germans.
0: <laughs> but they're cute little bobble-headed Germans. I, I love yeah. it. I, I think it's yeah. great, great fun. So I hate to do this because... I, I, I'm not trying to like one-up anyone or squelch what you're talking about. But, but to hear you talk about Unity of Command, Ian, uh, I, I I feel it's my duty to, to ask you, have you seen the Battle of the Bulge game? It's called Battle of the Bulge on the iPad.
2: I don't think it's come to Android yet, and that's what I've got.
0: Oh, you're one of those. Yes. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I love about Battle of the Bulge is it's so teared down. It's so it's such board game elegance applied to traditional wargaming trappings, and I think well, anybody could surprised look.
2: at it. When I heard you guys talking about it, uh, that you hadn't played Unity of Command.
0: I know, I know, I suck for that. I really should try it. I've even got it here. It's just I can't be arsed to, to boot it up. Um, you know what? If I can't play the Americans in D-Day, it's just if it doesn't speak to my experience as an American. No,
1: that's true. true. Hey, patriotic man, that Tom chick. That's right, yeah. Uh,
0: alright, so, uh, good. A little Unity of Command red turn. Uh, I'm glad to, I'm, I'm, I love when, when guys who don't normally play a genre discover something in that genre. Uh, that's kinda cool. Actually, here's a question, Ian. Does it make you wanna try other war games? You know, not,
2: not those, uh, woefully overcomplicated ones. <laughs>
0: So like, it's not uh, really like a gateway drug for you necessarily.
2: I don't feel that way. I just because I just think it's just a great design. Like, like you know, I mentioned Combat Mission earlier, and for me, I, I started playing that game because it was the first game that felt like playing a tabletop war game. Yeah. At my friend's place, and Unity of Command just feels like just a great. Game design, a really intelligent game. So it doesn't so much, it's not like, there are these elements of simulation, like the manual says, one turn is equal to four days. (laughs) But like, really it just plays beautifully, and I, and I don't know if that's, uh, you know, and, you know, maybe the Battle of the Bulge game would be one that would appeal in the same way.
0: Well, I, I don't know if they're doing an Android version, but if they are, I would definitely encourage you. Uh, it, it just is, is such a fresh take on wargaming, like Unity of Command. Uh, I, I think you would absolutely enjoy that. Uh, McMaster, you and I, we're going to play Unity of Command. I am going to... You are going to be the, uh, the Bulgarians. What? Yeah, I need you to play the Bulgarian. The Bulgarian army, they fielded quite a fierce force. I will be playing... Actually, were the Bulgarians... Did they fight for the Axis? I'm going to assume, yeah, I'm going to assume, so yeah. McMaster, I
2: Hungarians w- are on the, Hungarian and Finnish troops are available to the Axis player.
0: Oh, no, not the Finn. the Finns are, the Finns did, uh, an, 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 well, I don't know how apocryphal this is, I mean, the Finns notoriously held back the Russians, so McMaster, no, I need you to play the Hungarians or the Bulgarians, you choose one of those, McMaster, and I'll be playing either Russia or Germany against you. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, and, well, and McMaster...
1: Four both if you like, we-
0: you we know, If that's too much, if you don't want to do Eastern Front, we can do Western Front. Uh, you get to play Luxembourg, and I will be Germany.
1: Sweet. Okay, I'm fair enough. I'm looking for it. <laughs> uh,
0: all right, so there's our podcast for this week. Ian, thank you for, for hanging out with us. I, uh, I I love guys who are into Metal Gear passionately, so, so thanks for discussing <laughs> that with us. Well, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, And listeners, I encourage you to check out uh, Rigonauts. It's available on Steam. Uh, Give that a look. Uh, And McMaster, what are we doing for folks, uh, for listeners
1: next week? Uh, Free makeovers. Uh, Yes. Wasn't wasn't that it? Yeah.
0: Uh, Also, uh, next week, if you're into... McMaster, I'm going to give you an acronym. I want you to tell me what it stands for. You ready for this? MOBA. Mm -hmm. What does that mean, MOBA?
1: Oh, you mean a multiplayer online battle arena? Yeah. Some folks on this podcast
0: would highlight Guardians of Middle-Earth as, a, as a, a stellar example of MOBAs. Uh, I know at oh, least one guy. <laughs> Were you Mac-
1: gonna
0: be uh- no, McMaster, if you love Guardians of Middle-Earth, that's fine. If that's your favorite MOBA, I don't, you know, <laughs> who am I to... I never,
1: I never said that.
0: I know, but you said Guardians of Middle-Earth is the best game you've played in the last 15 years. I think that was the specific language you said.
1: I I need to go look that up. (laughs) There are a few other games I might want to reconsider. (laughs) How much damage does
0: Samwise do? Yeah, yeah. How Uh, much does Samwise do on on one hit,
1: McMaster? I don't think any. I don't think he's in the game. I mean, hopefully it's not. who wants to play Sam? I mean... They'll throw that
0: in, and one of his attacks will be to throw, uh, potatoes. What does he call potatoes? Oh. Potatoes. Exactly, yeah. Well, uh, next week we are gonna be talking MOBAs, maybe including Guardians of Middle-earth, and we're gonna be talking with someone who's actually making a new one, which I don't envy anyone who is doing that right now. It's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a fascinating genre, but you could almost say everything that's been done with MOBAs is already being done. The person who's going to join us next week, he's got a thing or two to say about that. So uh, join us for that. Um, uh, and we will also be bringing, as well as the makeovers that McMaster mentioned, uh, Games of the Week and uh, News of the Week. I can bet you dollars to donuts. I will be gushing enthusiastically about Tomb Raider. So if you haven't had your fill of that yet, uh, join us for that uh, next week. So there's that, and we will see everyone uh, back here in a week. And Ian, once again, thank you so much for hanging out with us today.
2: It's been lots of fun. Thank you for having me.
0: Okay, who here, show of hands, owns this soundtrack on CD?
1: I've never seen the movie. I've seen the movie. I don't know. This I love John Carpenter. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Ian, big trouble I just...
0: Can't, I can't get over it. Ian, I, can I disinvite Ian from the podcast? What the heck? <laughs> Ian, you're a Metal Gear fan. That's like me saying... Uh, I, I don't even know what that's like me saying. I'm, I'm completely at a loss. You've never seen Escape from New York.
2: I once admitted to never seen Top Gun, and that's how I realized I might in fact be slightly detached from reality. Well, but see,
0: but see, no, that's like they, yeah. If you say, oh, I'm the biggest Tom Cruise fan in the world, and if you go on a podcast to talk about Tom Cruise, and you're there as a Tom Cruise expert, and you've never seen Top Gun, you have never seen what inspired Metal Gear Solid. I know it's
2: horrible. I've seen Ghost of
0: Mars. Oh, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) See cocktail? Uh. (laughs) Oh. Oh God, Ghost of. Uh. Have you have you have you seen the Ward? No. Good. At least you you probably don't even know what it is, so you've slightly redeemed yourself. John Carpenter's last. Yeah, it was Uh, John Carpenter's last movie. It was a terrible, crappy, no-budget horror movie. Uh we, yeah so so good John John hasn't had a good run <laughs> not in the last to be fair though actually you know what John Carpenter directed I, I'm getting my horror nerd uh, on here he directed an episode of, of of Showtime's Masters of Horror anthology which is ninety percent of those things are crappy one of the few good ones is John Carpenter's uh, called Cigarette Burns so I think it's the best thing John Carpenter's done in a while. So there's that.
1: Um, Escape from LA is pretty good. Uh, McMaster,
0: shut up. <laughs> God. <laughs> Surfing <laughs> to Disneyland. Yes.